This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3127 for Tuesday the 28th of July 2020. Today's show is entitled HPR Audiobook Club 20 Quarter Share and is part of the series HPR underscore Audiobook Club. It is hosted by HPR underscore Audiobook Club and is about 152 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is, the HPR Audiobook Club reviews the audiobook quarter share by Nathan Lowell. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. everybody and welcome to another episode of Hacker Public Radio. This is the Hacker Public Radio Audio Book Club. I'm Pokey and I'm one of the members of our little round table here. And uh, with me tonight is right below me on the list here is Taj. What's good everybody? Maybe you're supposed to introduce the person below you. Oh, but I don't... Really? Okay, X1101. <laughs> well, with that kind of a stellar in- introduction... Hi, everybody. And next up is 5150. Yeah, how come I have the uh, the alphabetically lowest handle and I come last? Um, I disagree. Well, I guess depending on de- your definition of lowest, I, I believe X is much l- lower. I think it's just because we went down and someone had to start it, so I did. Oh, I just realized you're an algebra problem. We're, we've been supposed to solve for X all this time. That n- nope. I think X is beer. I'm just guessing. Maybe an IPA. <laughs> uh, as usual. Now the handle comes from way, way back when I was a young, dumb kid and didn't understand the d- delineations of different number systems. The one one zero one is binary for thirteen, and X was I needed to shove a letter in front of it because my screen name couldn't start with a number, and yeah. Yeah, that's the same reason I'm not 5150 on XChat. So, you know, you can blame – or well, I guess chat in general. So you, you can uh, you can blame the IRC for having to t- uh, type out my whole name. Uh, for me, it was AOL Instant Messenger. Anyways, that book. Yes, that book. Hell yeah, that book. What book? Uh, I think we're looking at uh, Trader's Tales – Book one, quarter share by Nathan Lowell. I think this is the first book I've re- I've listened to of Nathan Lowell's that he wrote. I think I've heard a couple other ones that he read, but this is the first one of his books I think I've listened to, and it was just his job as a an author and narrator. I thought were well done. No, he's read other ones that we've done, but uh, we've done both uh, Shaman's Tale. And the other one about the, sort of the witchy sort of woman. He definitely wrote both of those. Yeah, but I wasn't part of the book club at that point, so I haven't listened to those. 
Okay. And so we don't sound silly with the other one I'm thinking of. Are you thinking of the Crown Conspiracy? That was, we read that a while ago. He didn't write that one, though. No, no, no. no. And that's the one I... That's the one I was thinking of that I have listened to that he read, but wasn't one of his. The Woman Studying to Be a Witch. We've done that one. No, we didn't. We didn't actually review that book. Oh, I thought we did. Nope. That's, um, oh boy, why can't I think of the name of that one? It's very good, but I can't think of the name of it. I guess I must have done that on my own, looking for Nathan Lowell content. Well, that's one we can do sometime. You know what? It's possible that we did it. The first time before we stopped doing the, the audio book club way long time ago, because I seem to only have uh, from episode five on up in my list here. So maybe we did way back then. Stop. Don't tell the listeners we ever stopped. That's 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 uh, that's a secret thing. No, we've been doing this all along. Well, judging by our backlog, they, they might actually think that we stopped again. Oh, uh, yeah. Whoops. So this is probably my all-time favorite audiobook and as we were just saying before we started we didn't have to include that it's very difficult for me to listen to this book and not listen to the entire series they're just that compelling to me and i find the main character just so relatable um it's i just love this book correct me if i'm wrong i think this is the first time the audiobook club has ever done a sequel prequel of another book that we've done did you did you do another one of trader tales at some point no but we did shaman's tale which is set in the same universe i didn't realize they would be connected in any way which the first book doesn't go into that but that they they are connected which i didn't realize going in other than i thought they were like in the same universe but they're a little more connected than that yeah i think it's the first time we've we've jumped through series that way i mean unless you want to count um the uh the the star trek continuing missions which was a a a series in and of itself but yeah i believe it's the first time yeah i mean we've done uh oh the one where all the magic was based on uh uh different trees the 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 one with the lawnmower you guys shadow magic Shadow Magic. I think we all read the second book, but we haven't done that one. It's funny. Funny story with that. I listened to those completely separate from the book club because I joined well after you guys did those. And I was going to suggest that. And then I'm like, oh, wait, they already did it. Yeah, Shadow Magic may be like my number two of all time's favorite audiobook. That's that's number two. Yeah, that was a good series as well. So and not to, and not to say that everything in the quarter share series uh, is just incredible, but I, I have to agree with you, Pokey. The perhaps because this is just the introduction to this universe, quarter share of the series, quarter share is my favorite. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I I've got so much to say about this book that I don't think will spoil it. Um, as far as relating to the main character, I I think this book has a definite theme to it. This book has definite lessons. This book has life lessons that I've been able to take into my life and that have worked well for me. Um, it's just so great. It, there's so many books that, that and I've said it before and I'll say it again. There's so many books that are like a fish out of water story and be, because you have to introduce some conflict for the main character for there to be 
any any uh, plot at all. Um, this one took a different turn. Rather than than making him a fish out of water, um, he was kind of ejected from his world. His his mom died, and he had to get off a planet. This in chapter one. No spoilers here. Um, and how he handled it was so natural and so creative and you know that that he was thrown into this this world that wasn't his but he became part of it so well um i i think the theme of this book to me that the lesson to take from it is that a good person is worth their weight in gold and that anyone can be a good person you, everyone has that potential in them and i i just i think it's such a great lesson to take out of this book and into the real world and i think it's worked for me personally and you you mentioned a good point poking the whole fish out of water because that is an old meme in science fiction that to explain you know this new world people are entering you have a character who you know for some reason this 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 the experience is completely new to them and so that you uh, you introduce uh, the reader to his world by ha- or her world by having by having the character have all these new experiences and and thus you explain uh, the universe to the reader. And my favorite author of all time, Isaac Asimov, was a master of this method. And, and alternatively, and we've had some books like this, uh, you, you don't explain uh, what's going on. And, you, you know, everything's a mystery and you slowly reveal it. Uh, I would say an example of that would be the TV series Babylon 5, where you really didn't know what the, what was going on until the beginning of the second season sometime. And lost. Well, in that case, I don't. I don't think the producers of the series ever knew what was going on. Yeah, let's uh, insert our usual J.J. Abrams rant here, and then move move swiftly on. Done. I think yeah, I, I nailed have, it. I think I may have this just the stored audio of our standard J.J. Abrams clip, but I may just drop it in right there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great plan. Why? There, I've summed it up. Actually, that was pretty, pretty efficient and topical. I like it. Actually, that's probably better than the real ending of Lost. <laughs> Hashtag I'm real su- talk. I'm suggesting right now we all meet together right here again sometime next January and discuss episode seven. That sounds like a plan to me. It'll Ooh, probably get ugly. I I don't know if I can do that. I still haven't watched the Hobbit movies. You didn't miss much, except for you know Klaatu being involved, which was kind of cool. Oh, I know that's brilliant. Wait, what? Yeah, I, I've never known anybody with their own IMD page, IMDb page before. My understanding is that's why he moved to New Zealand was to work on the Hobbit. Yeah. Well, he works for a company that does production stuff. You know. Uh, uh, graphic stuff for The Hobbit. He's, he's not directly employed by J.J. I heard he played Bilbo Baggins. That's just the rumor going around. <laughs> he played Gollum. If Gollum spoke in, like, shell scripts, that would <laughs> be awesome. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. This, I this... want to look at the screen. Who, who was it bewildered by what we're talking about? 
excellent 101. Anyways, that book. Yeah, again, it's it's so fantastic. Um, I, I mean, there's so many things in this book that, I mean, maybe I knew before, maybe I didn't, but I think of Ishmael Wong when I do certain things now, like, like when a problem comes up, at, specifically at work, a problem comes up, rather than ask somebody, you know, what the solution is, I'll try to bring them a possible solution and say, is this right? Is this the way to do this? And people are really, really happy with you when you do that, rather than say, hey, what do I do here? Even if you're wrong, they're really happy that you that you tried to bring them an answer instead. And that's that's something that I specifically took out of this book. At least I think I did. Um, like uh, Maybe I did it before, maybe I didn't. But I, I always think of him now when I do that. <laughs> I'm going to try to make my next statement not sound as narcissistic and egotistical as it's probably going to come out as. Um, one thing about the character that I just instantly related to is he runs at a different speed than the other people in the crew. And I've had that experience. And when I was in college, in college before I got out of it, I worked in a warehouse job. Wonderful people, did great work, were great at their job, but that was their speed and my speed was faster. And so it, it's just like that kind of people looking at you weird when you have a solution to a problem that they just haven't even begun to think about it. it I related to that. Cause I'm like, I've been in that situation. People looking at you like you have three heads. It's crazy. Um, and so that kind of endeared me to him instantly. Um, I could go on a whole tirade about how his education played into that, but that's, you know, a whole other, uh, side story to go into but i mean i found that to make that was the one thing that really made me relate to him like instantly within the first you know couple chapters yeah, but it seems like in his academic career before you know uh uh joining the freighter he he was at best a uh ambivalent student so he does say said he does have you know this this talent for tests but this whole thing that they talk about uh, before before uh, joining the ship, he really had no idea what he wanted to do. He had no motivation to go to college. Uh, so I'm wondering, you know, what his actual academic record before this looked like. My guess it looked kind of like, eh. It's not so much his, like, knowledge. It's the skills that he has to gain knowledge. Um, and there's a lot of research that goes into this. Kids who know how to learn can do better in any situation than kids that think they know a lot and don't know how to learn anything new. It's just his, it's almost his flexibility and ambivalence towards any one particular thing has made him better, uh, more well-rounded. He's able to see more possibilities just because he knows how to learn things just because he wants to. Yes. He, all right. And going back to what you said about, working faster than other people. I can agree and relate to that as long as we're not talking about physical speed here. We're talking about clock cycles. And yeah, his clock just ticks over a, a little quicker under certain situations than other folks. And I, I relate to that as well, having worked with some other people that just... And I don't even know if it's at a faster speed or a different speed. It's just running a different set of processes sometimes where you think about a problem differently. And I, I can totally relate to that, where people just sometimes don't even understand what I'm talking about. Um, 
you, you got to like back them up and, and talk about it from the beginning and you spend 10 minutes explaining what you're talking about. And at the end, they just go, I don't know, go ahead and try it. It's, <laughs> you know, and something works and they still don't understand it when it's done. And he's in that situation often. Hey, I just... Okay, I'll go ahead and talk. We don't have dead air. I mean, we've always talked about our mumble. We ought to have this timeout thing where if everybody hits the key at once, then somebody gets a flag. Okay, you go ahead and talk. And then everybody else's 30-second or 45-second delay. Uh, But I think all of us here and a lot of the people on the listenership have had – you know, similar experience, and like I said, it's a lot of it's motivation. I mean, you know, I, I'll go to, you know, intelligent people, doctors, lawyers, whatever, and work on their computers, and they they look at me like, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm some sort of wizard from outer space, you know, that I understand this stuff, and it's like, well, it's not... It's it's not so much intelligence because I you know I might I may work for people more intelligent than me but it's uh, you know it, it's what you're interested in and you know the things that you're are your passion will come easy to you. Yeah, I just like the main character because he end up he ends up making his bones making good coffee. Yeah, that that part should have been you know he's he's probably Watu's favorite character of all time. I heard it once said in, in uh, an interview with Nathan Lowell, uh, Blues on Tilts, where people were impressed. And I think the um, specific wording that they used was, I never thought making coffee could be so interesting. And, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I can agree with that, except that, you know, I think making coffee is interesting, but I've never thought somebody else making coffee was so interesting. <laughs> that reminds me that I need to do an update to my how I make coffee sh- show because I've completely changed it and my coffee is now just shy of weapons grade I think bitchin it's funny you mentioned he was on tilt I didn't even know that I guess it was like in the time I wasn't listening to them I went back because when we read a shot uh shaman's tale the um what was it called south coast that's what it was called um that was the first time I'd ever read like a Nathan Lowell thing and I wasn't terribly impressed with it. So I guess I just kind of like didn't I, before I knew who he was, I just didn't pay attention to him. Um, and then after that book, I'm like, OK, he's really good at reading things. So I, I like to love his voice. I mean, that's a brilliant thing. Um, but then I remembered he was on Linux Reality like a long time ago. So I actually went back and listened to it again because I'm like, oh, now I dig this guy. I will actually pay attention to him. Which <laughs> is terrible, but that's what I did. And like so much of what he said in that interview, I was just like it instantly clicked. Like the whole time I was reading these books, I was like, man, I want to play a role playing game in this universe. Um, and then it hit me. I was like, oh, yeah, this already- drink. It was yeah exactly. Yeah. It, already, it already exists. It's called Traveler, and he mentions you know that that was one of the influences on him. And then like just random things like his doctor or I guess his doctorate is in the same thing I'm studying right now. I'm working on my master's and doctorate. So it's like there there are all these commonalities. I can see behind the scenes of the way his brain works on some of this stuff, and it's really cool. Um, I can also go back. I think and if I listen to the um, South Coast again, I think I would appreciate it so much more after these books oh yeah i just added my read uh my reading list the other book that 50 was talking about was not south coast it was ravenwood was the the other book it's it's not 
set in the same universe. It doesn't seem to be. I was about to say that, of course, it could be just these people are uh, pre-space travel in uh, in Ravenwood. It's more of a medieval type uh, universe. But, you know, it's a, it's a universe where magic is real. So one could argue, well, you know, obviously, they, I don't think Nathan ever specific. He, he may have in the later book specifically mentioned Earth at some point, but uh, you know, I, I think we're given to understand this is this is in the future of the human race. So somebody could say, "Well, there's no such thing as magic." Well, well, I guess not because he's got magic in South Coast, sort of. So uh, maybe maybe so you could uh, eventually tie all these books together. It mentioned I'm totally nerded on these books. I'm sorry, guys. I went everywhere. Um, he mentions on his site, which if you've not been to the Solar Clipper Diaries or whatever it is, the site behind all these books, he spells out the whole history from Earth to where they are now. And like all the like steps in between, like this is how we invented FTL. This is how we invented solar sails. This is um, this is why we spread out and stuff. It's, it's, it's really cool. Now I want to go read that because that's always one of the things I like to pick up in the sci-fi universes is the whys and the hows of how did we get from this hunk of rock to a bunch of hunks of rock. Don't do it. Don't go read that. We need to finish the show. I didn't mean write this second. Oh, no, but if you did, I totally believe it because that's what I feel like doing too. But wait till after the show. You know what? I'll, I'll I'll just put it in the show notes. Why, thank you. Well, Nathan, Nathan Lowell is the master of his own universe, and he can decide what happens. And I uh, have the power. So he, you, you know, they can't come along with some, some, somebody and say, "Oh, the last thirty years of novelizations never happened." Sorry, second J.J. Abrams reference for this episode. Yeah. No. There's only one problem with him, him being the master of that, this universe. It's because he has stated in several places that there is another Shaman Tales book that he's working on. There are three more Ishmael books that he's got ideas for. And there are three more books that is a different crew set in the same universe. And he's the only man that can write them. And they're not done yet. That's the problem. This is why we need brain to text editor, inter- text editor interfaces. No, this is why we need to send so, the man money, buy his books. If he, if we can fund him, if he can make a living out of this, he'll do more books. And I will say, um, depending on your feelings on Amazon, I, I'm not great on it, but I, I use it. Uh, f- I believe all the books are $4.99. I plopped down for seven of them. I bought everything he wrote in the universe. And, well, no, eight. There's like a 99-cent short story thing that I also bought that's set in the universe. Um, that is not much to pay for a guy that gave me this much entertainment. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll I've go got, do that tomorrow. Yeah, I've got uh, paperbacks from him as well. You know, it, it's... Well, comparisons maybe like the Game of Thrones guy. You know, you know he keeps saying, oh, the heck with you fans, I'm going to retire, or he might die someday or something like that. And everybody's, no, no, finish the books before you do. Now, another thing that I found incredibly relatable with with Ishmael um, is how you know he, he, 
in the first chapter, his mother died. That I can't relate to. My mom's still alive, thank God. Anyway, his mom died, and he's completely devastated. And emotionally, you would think that this is, you know, a, a huge trial. And how he gets over it, though it never spells it out so clearly, but basically how he gets over it is by keeping himself occupied with his work. And when I went through my divorce, you know, years and years ago now, that's how I got over it. I took every service order that we had. I took service orders from other techs um, just to keep work and just to keep my mind busy because dwelling on it, sitting around is the worst thing you can do. If you can work through an emotional problem like that, it's better for you. It's better for everyone around you. And it's it, for me, it's the only way to get through that kind of stuff. And that's how he did it. And I, I, it's totally believable to me. It's totally, I bought every minute of that. And, um, you know, I could see someone who's never been through anything saying, oh, he lost his mother and he never talks about it. How did he ever do, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, you work through it. That's just what you do. That's just what works. Yeah, the same thing just happened to me in the last month or so as we lost a, a family pet. And, you know, a lot of people ask me why I went back to work that day. I'm like, well, I can sit at home and mope or I can get to work. Well, that that part of the whole uh, book, you know, uh, will tie into Ken Fallon's philosophy that – Corporations are complete fucking bastards, and that gets us our adult rating for uh, for this episode. Somebody had to do it. Thanks, Fifty. Yeah, no problem. But uh, you know that all of a sudden, you know, his mother's a college professor, pretty much not living the high life, enough to get through to the next month. Uh, the, the whole planet is, uh, that he starts out on is a corporate university planet, and I can't imagine what kind of university could cover a planet, but maybe we're, maybe we're talking one of these planets where it's like 10% habitable or something like that. No, no. The university worked for the corporation that ran the whole planet. It wasn't The whole planet wasn't a university. Yeah, that's, okay. that, that's what I got, too. But, you know, essentially what meager amount of money that his mom still had in the bank, and I'm surprised he had enough to go as long as he did, is, you know, immediately he gets sued because the uh, flying car she and her boyfriend were on fell into a uh, an apple cider grove and uh, took out an acre, and they said, well, we can't – uh, we can't put people back together enough to know who was flying, so we're going to sue both the states, and uh, you know, so you don't you don't have any money, kid. And and this is what he finds: the only two ways for him to get off the planet is to uh, join the Marines. And I'd be I'd be kind of interested. Uh, I, I I don't know if Nathan has that kind of bent. But if maybe his, his other uh, crew uh, uh, series that he's talking about might be, you know, going to the Marines, that might be kind of cool in this universe. Uh, but, you know, he's only got two ways off the – well, three ways off the planet. He can, he can uh, wait till his money runs out and then the corporation will deport him. And then charge him like what he couldn't earn in years and years and years, and he would still be on another planet where there would probably be no jobs. 
he can, you know, he can he can get a berth on a commercial freighter, which is what he does. And maybe we ought to explain a little bit about what the book is about. So I can't imagine anybody listening to this hasn't read the book. Or he can join the submarines. I believe the the crew in the other series he's talking about are smugglers. So that I'm in, instantly interested in that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's better yet. Where where do I get this? Nathan Lowell's brain, and that's the problem. <laughs> it's happened. Um, it's, it's driving me crazy. One of the things, I mean, like, we keep coming back to it, and it's, it's like, it, it sounds hokey, but it's, Ishmael is such a relatable character because he's he's well-written enough to where he's realistic, but at the same time, through all the books, but even at the end of this book, he's almost kind of mythical. Like, he's one of those, like, um, you almost kind of hold him up as an example. And like my job is kind of a leadership job. I have to, I have to deal with, with some leadership issues. And like, I have a checklist in my brain of like, um, you know, what would Picard do? Um, what would Optimus Prime do? You know, just kind of like these, you know, mythical leaders. And like, I could totally fit Ishmael Wong, like right in there and, and think, what would he do? You know, and it would probably be a good decision. I had that exact thought as I was pouring my beverage before we were before we started recording WWIWD I saw a picture that one of my friends who happens to be a um, Baptist minister sent me um, we always send each other religious things because he knows I'm Buddhist and so but we're still like best friends um, it was a picture uh, and it said at the bottom whenever somebody mentions what would Jesus do remind them that flipping over tables is definitely an option <laughs> <laughs> And insulting religious leaders. Well, you know, one thing I really like about this series is because it is not Star Trek. I I mean, I love Star Trek, but Star Trek, essentially, energy is free. Energy can be turned into matter, uh, you know, unlimited resources. And, you know, in this, no, it's capitalism, you, you know. They're essentially sailing ships through space, and they got to make a profit to to keep going. Yeah, that was the one thing about Ishmael that I can't relate to, was how easily he turned from a kid with really no ambition into a completely unbridled capitalist. It took me a long time to learn capitalism. I will save my comments regarding said things until after the spoiler session. Ooh, all right. Uh, make a note of that then, because I don't want to miss that. It's it's a general comment, but that's one of the symptoms of said comment. Well, at least nobody here is doing predatory capitalism. Right, right. Well, the the planet, the uh, you know, corporate planet was. All right, so let's run through the list of of things to do before the spoilers. Uh, recording quality, um, excellent, excellent recording quality. When you find out how he recorded this, it's actually stunning that he got such quality out of it. Um, did, everybody... did, did he use a Zoom with, like, a hat, a hat clip? No, worse. <laughs> I don't know what he used for an actual recorder. Uh, but the did, originally, he said the book was um, a gift for his wife. The audiobook was a gift for his wife. He wrote it, took him a while to write it. And he sat out in his car, maybe in the garage, maybe outdoors, I don't know, sat out in his car because it was the only quiet place that he had and recorded it in his car. Um, now, go ahead, Taj. Would you, you said you knew what he used for a recorder? 
in the interview that I listened to the other day, it said he used one of the older iRiver um, MP3 players slash recorders and just plugged a mic into it and recorded it in his car, which blew my mind. I was like, is the audio geek that I am? I'm just like, how? How? Why? did That should not work. Yeah, I've sent my car to record audio before. After hearing him say that, uh, say, oh, okay, I'll try that for a nice quiet place. It doesn't work for me at all um i might as well be driving the car for all the the sound deadening sitting in a car gives me i'm too fidgety and i did anybody notice uh i i mean it's been years since i've uh listened to quarter share it, it at first what started for me it seemed kind of high-pitched i almost thought maybe they i'd got a sped up version or something yeah i listened to it sped up so i can't really comment no, there was one chapter where at the beginning it did have a slightly different uh, sound quality to it, a slightly different tone, but it was somewhere in the middle, and it seemed to either I got used to it or it corrected itself halfway through that chapter, and it was the only instance of that. I don't recall it being any different pitch. It may be a different pitch from what you remember the more recent book sounding like. Maybe he changed his techniques, some of the more recent ones. Well, that's what I was thinking. I mean, uh, oh, it's probably, it's been a year, probably a little more than a year since I've read the owner share or listened to owner share, and it just, it didn't seem like the same voice. The other thing I'll say about this is, um, this is my mom's favorite audiobook series as well, and she says she listens to it every couple of months um, because he reminds her of me. Um, and it, and, you know, like Todd said earlier, that this is not, uh, you know, uh, uh, me thinking highly of myself. I would, I would bet that every mom think their kid this way because Ishmael is kind of, uh, you know, the ideal kid, you know what I mean? So I, I'd be surprised if anybody's mom didn't say, oh, he reminds me so much of you. Well, Ishmael's kind of overachiever. I mean, he's not probably smarter than Pip or the rest of his friends, but, you know, he just dives in and does this stuff. Well, he has the long-running advantage of not already knowing the answer. Right, exactly. And he's a good test taker, which I can totally relate to. I did really good in school on tests and never did good on anything else. I just want to mention how brilliant the idea is of making the music all like traditional sea shanties because it totally adds to like the romance of this sort of book. Like I get the same, the shorthand I use with my, my wife is um, Kerouac's on the road. Anybody who's ever read that book wants to take a road trip. Like you fall in love with the idea of a road trip. This made me fall in love with the idea of being like a merchant marine on like a you know, some kind of ship. Um, even though I know it probably wouldn't be as is as romantic as I'm making it out to be. Like just that that feeling, that ambiance, the music I thought was perfect for that. It, it just in tying space to the sea is something that's always happened, but um, it, it seemed a lot more realistic here than like your Star Trek or, or, or sort of your more pop sci-fi where. Yeah, we have this naval thing, but really, it's it's like a hotel in the sky. Like you don't have to worry about anything, and you can get on and off whenever you want, and everything happens in an instant. Like this was more sort of that. Yes, it takes weeks to get where you're going, and then weeks on the other end of where you're going. Like 
and just like that everything in, in a bottle tension in a good way. Yes, Did- and there is no dead weight on this ship. Every person who's there has a function and a duty and a purpose, and they all serve a purpose in the story quite well also. Did well, literally no dead weight because weight is profit in this universe. Did this whole scenario um, – not scenario, the, the universe setup remind anyone else of uh, Lost in Bronx's Star Drifter universe? Yes. Well, we mentioned that when we when we talked when, – when we reviewed that, there are certain things like there's no subspace radio. So the only way you one planet communicates with another is when – uh, a ship comes from that planet and it does a data dump. In my head canon, <laughs> if you hop through a wormhole, there, there's Lost in Bronx's universe, like on the other side. Like, they're very close to each other, but just, you know, just, just different enough to keep them both interesting. Like, but there's so many, like, just that feeling, like that space opera kind of feeling. Yeah, definitely between the two. Yeah, I, I mean, perfectly, I would say, uh, and and I said when we reviewed Elsie's uh, book, this you know, and I'm I'm not accusing him of stealing stuff, but it would fit right in if his book was either before or you know, hundred years before or hundred years after, more likely after because they seem to have uh, in space you know some some kind of reaction drive that they can use and fuel is not such a big problem. And, and I get the impression from, uh, you know, Nathan Lowell's books now that the, the uh, military ships, they don't use solar sailing. They, you know, they're all the time on, on action drive. I was just happy that the physics of space travel was at least addressed in a primarily realistic manner. Like, other than wormholes, a lot of the technology is based in stuff that is actually feasible. Yeah, it, it's at least plausible, and that you know, that's what makes good sci-fi is that it's plausible science. We haven't said anything about the setting yet, which is really strange. So the whole setting of these books, the whole idea behind them, is that there's intergalactic trade that takes place on these uh, merchant marine vessels that are propelled with solar sails. The solar wind pushes them along. Very similar to sailing ships. And uh, when they get far enough away from the center of a solar system, they get far enough out of the gravity well, they can engage a jump drive, which allows them to jump through space faster than light travel, Um, which is a little bit inconsistent throughout the series, and we can get to that after the spoilers. Uh, But suffice it to say, for now, they have to get out of the gravity well, and then they can jump to another system. And it takes them weeks and weeks to sail out of the gravity well on their solar sails. And one thing I wanted to throw in, we really don't see the mechanics of it to the third book, so I I wouldn't call it exactly a spoiler. But space is so vast that, you know, uh, once you travel to another part of the uh, galaxy... That it's you, it, it's not like he at, at one point he takes a job and goes to the to the other end of the galaxy, and he's too far away to ever see his friends from the first two books 
or communicate with them ever again. And I'm sure Nathan probably has a reunion in mind. I would once again point people to the website because he has like the systems all laid out and you can see exactly where the planets are and how they relate to each other. And it's just geeky goodness. Please check the show notes, folks. Once again, my next Traveler game will be set in this universe. Now, is that Durandus or is it uh, his other website? SolarClipper.com Should we spoil this thing? Yeah. Well, pardon me while I go get my beer and then, yes, please. Yeah, mine may take me a minute, so feel free if I'm not back to go ahead and talk around me. Yeah, it's easy enough to cut out dead air. We'll just dead air till you guys get back. Or I can vamp and sing a song or something. I don't know. Oh, by all means. Okay, I know what we can talk about while while they're heading away. Do you know the uh, the story behind the music in the series? There's a story. I did not know this. Yeah, it's not a real long story, but the uh, the music in the first book is what he wanted to stick with for the rest of the series through all the series. It was something he found on um, archive.org. But when he got into the second book, he wanted to try to make a profit off the audiobooks and do so commercially. But he he exhausted, um, and and he's a he's a he's a sysadmin <laughs> by trade, so he knows what he's doing on the internet. He exhausted every possibility of getting in touch with the musician who made the music from the first book, and uh, couldn't get in touch with the guy and couldn't get permission. Couldn't even find the guy. Never got a response in an email or anything like that. Couldn't find out who, you know, if the guy's dead, what the estate was, um, and couldn't get permission to use the music. So from the second book on, it's all public domain music. It's all stuff from uh, the 20s and earlier. I know in listening to the interview that I did, and now i got to go back and find that Tilt's interview because I want to hear that. Um, he is all in on like patio books and that sort of um, distribution method, which, which I love. Um, there are other authors that got to start that way. And as soon as they started making money, um, decided that wasn't the way they were going to go forward and good on them. I mean, that's their decision, but um, I, I respect him highly for sticking to it. And, and just um, he, in that interview, he made a comment. He's like, look, I'm not going to make a ton of money off this, so I'm not too worried about it. I'm just going to put it out there, and, um, you know, if I make something on it, that's good. If not, you know, it is what it is. It seemed very similar to what Lost in Bronx said in our interview with him. Yeah, it just shows how unfair our world is, that there's such tremendously good authors as Nathan Lowell and Lost in Bronx who just go unnoticed when they, you know, by all rights fully deserve to make a living uh, writing and, and creating audiobooks. They do it so well. And how they don't get noticed is beyond me because everyone I've ever shared this book with or this series or Lost in Bronx for that matter has said, wow, that is fantastic. How did you find such a fantastic thing? And I've no, how have I never heard of this? One of the things we do at my school, which um, I, I like, it, it, it's helpful in some ways, in some ways it's not, is um, a bunch of the teachers, such as myself, have put boards on their doors, and we constantly have what we're reading up. And so, like, for all this, you know, for the last month, I've had, like, all these books on the wall. And, you know, I get other teachers walking up being like, those books must be really awesome if you're like tearing through, you know, six books in four weeks. 
Um, and most of them know that I'm not a fast reader. Um, and so like, it's very nice for me to, to have interaction with, you know, real world people who are not, you know, hacker public radio or free culture people, or, you know, just sort of our community and say, no, really, this is on Amazon. Go check it out. You know, throw this guy some bones because it's good stuff. If, if you're into it, you'll dig it. Um, I don't know if anybody has, but I mean, that's the one downside with, um, the whole, um, did you hear my ringtone? (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's awesome. Uh, that may be copyrighted. We may have to mute it out. No, it's also, uh, but, um, what was I saying? Crap. (laughs) You were saying that you have a board to suggest books to, to real people, not, not HPR people. But, like, the whole him being on Amazon, like, for me, it's not a problem. I have ethically chosen myself that Amazon sells me a Kindle book and thinks that they're renting it to me, and I strip the DRM off, and I don't feel bad about it. That is an ethical decision that I have made that is probably technically illegal. Um, uh, it's still moral, and I agree with it. So I do it. So, so I, I try to buy a paperbacks because I know the author gets a little more money out of that, or at least I hope they do. I could not find them available because uh, that was my original intent and I, I didn't find any of the paperbacks. So I bought them digitally and that's what I'm pointing people to is, you know, because pretty much everybody that I know that reads the books has a Kindle, you know, just because they're the number one um, bookseller, I guess, on the internet for better or for worse. And I like that it gives us a way to contribute money directly to him. I'm sure they get a cut. Um, but like when I went and bought, I mean, I bought probably at the, 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 end total was like 40 bucks for all the books, which is ridiculously cheap for, you know, you can't go buy a six book series on the shelf for $40 in, in real space. Um, and I w- could literally drop another $40 on patio books and not feel bad at all about the money I spent. Yeah, and you can also donate through Podio Books. That's something we always, uh, I, I always, anyway, forget to mention. Um, and uh, that reminds me, by the way, uh, the the mute. What I should have said before is um, the music that he chose for this first book. Uh, James Curran is the uh, musician who he, he can't get in touch with or couldn't get in touch with. Um, he's also worth looking up on. Uh, on archive.org because all of his stuff is really terrific. Yeah. And I would think though, that the donate link on, uh, not that it's not worthwhile, but I would think the lion's share of that's going to go to patio books rather than to the author, which I'm okay with because they, they're literally providing part of the service. I mean, that's why, you know, if I bought some from, Amazon, I know they're going to take, you know, whatever 20% cut. I don't know what the deal is um, for providing, you know, the storage and stuff. I'm fine paying that. I, I just want to make sure that he gets something. And to be completely honest, I probably don't donate to audio books enough as it is to support the service. And I don't think enough people probably do. I can't imagine they're running at a profit. Uh, let me jump in and just say that that's not correct. 50 uh, audio books does take a cut. It is not the lion's share. I believe it's it's small, like five or ten percent. All right, hooray for patio books. Yeah, that sounds totally reasonable. Yeah, if you do look up James Curran on um, the Internet Archive, uh, you got to hear the song. It's really, really funny and fun and very well done. It's it sounds at least as good as the uh, the Lucky Black Hat, which is the the theme song throughout 
uh, Trader Tales one quarter share. Well, it's another task I need to do tonight. Sucks that dude like disappeared off the face of the earth. Damn it! Yeah, it does again. Yeah, it does because if he could have, if if Nathan Lowell could have kept using his music for the other books, um, it would have tied in a little more tightly, uh, just slightly. Um, and also, his music is is really great. It's it's all it, most of it is just as good as the Lucky Black Cat. But um, anyway, it looks like Fifty and X One One Zero One are back with their beverages. Uh, who wants to start us off? I'll go. Uh, I've got this unique beverage uh, that I'm actually eating with a spoon because, uh, well, I think I've mentioned, reviewed before on the uh, on the book club, talked about my appreciation for flavored moonshine, though none of the stuff in the store is as good as some homemade stuff where I've had. Uh, I've been enamored of the uh, Junior Johnson labeled brand and uh, the ones with fruit in the bottom are actually bigger than the uh, you know the the regular Junior Johnson so they're they're they're, they make them bigger because they're not counting the fruit towards the alcohol content but this is one I've I discovered recently and wanted to try this is Old Smoky Tennessee Moonshine. And the difference is what the Junior Johnson wants is fruits in the bottom. Well, you got a layer of fruit in the bottom, and it's good. It's, you know, I'm partial to the strawberries. They also have a, a cherry one. And the straw, you know, the fruit just soaks up the alcohol. And not, I'm not saying just the whiskey. I mean, it's, it's alcohol because I think it's like the old uh, worm in the bottle, bottom of the tequila bottle. We always wondered about that back in college. We said, well, I mean, you know, the worm's not as big as shot whiskey. How is this worm going to put you away, like everybody says? Well, I think it's because the fruit or the worm or whatever, you know, soaks up pure alcohol, like 190 proof, rather than, you know, the whiskey, which is like 80 proof or whatever. And I can tell you from those from the Junior Johnson with the strawberries, you eat a couple strawberries out of the bottom of that thing, you're ready for bed. But what I like about this uh, Old Smoky Tennessee Moonshine, as opposed, it, it, it's in a regular quart jar. It's not in a bigger quart jar like the Junior Johnson is. But in this one, you've got like Marciano cherries all the way to the top of the thing. And yeah, they they are potent. Uh, so it, you you, gotta, you can't pour it. So it's basically a jar of cherries that's then packed with moonshine instead of syrup. Essentially, yes. So you know, I've I've quite enjoyed this, and after going to Penguin Con, I I attended a, a uh, seminar on infusions, which is essentially, you know, you put fruit or something in the bottom of the jar, and you pour, uh, usually either. Uh, uh, vodka or gin over it. I'm not a big gin fan. So I tried that. I had all these quart jars left over from this fake moonshine. And I cleaned a few of them up and I tried three of them. I put, and this is going to sound weird, but it, it was pretty good at the seminar. Cucumbers in one and uh, sliced thin. 
and that was pretty, the juice off of that was pretty good. It was cucumbers and oh, I should know the spice. I'm forgetting it. Uh, but then they said, okay. Then they ran through the line again. Add a little lemonade to it. And well, that's that, one way that, to get pickled. That's one way to get pickled. Exactly, and the, and then that they took the cucumbers and they added sh- uh, vinegar and sugar and and uh, and made them in icebox pickles, and we all had the pickles too. Uh, but the other two things I tried, and you would have thought they would have worked. I tried papaya and kiwi, and I bought the fruit, and then it took me a week to get to it. So the kiwi were pretty much fermenting themselves, but. I tried, and they say put them in put them in a jar or whatever, and put them in a, in a cool place. And I've had them there, and I tr- I haven't tried the the, uh, the uh, cucumber, but I did try the kiwi and the and, and, and the papaya, and they're only slightly flavored of that stuff. So I'm going to leave them a few weeks more. I've had I about would, four weeks. If you're doing that on your own, fifty, I would suggest not using citrus fruits try it out with some fruits that are are not citrusy first uh not because i have any specific knowledge about it i just know that citrus fruits act differently than regular fruits do like um like if you put a citrus fruit in jello it won't congeal it won't harden uh the same you've got to kind of put it between layers um stuff like that just citrus fruits act a little differently sometimes yeah, I think you're right. I think I should have maybe done my research a little better because, you know, right now what I've got is slightly fruit-flavored McCormick vodka. And the only reason I went so cheap on the vodka is, you know, just a little more expensive. I could get all these kind of flavored vodkas, and I, I may have shot myself in the foot doing that because it's still, at the end of the day, it's McCormick. Uh you know, may, may, maybe I, I would have had better results if I would used Absolute or something like that. So I can only imagine that uh, Junior Johnson is in reference to the uh, the race car driver and bootlegger of old. Is it licensed? Is the name licensed through his family or are they just using the name? I assume it must be licensed somehow. Or is his family actually involved? Because that would be even cooler. No, I, I'm I'm absolutely certain that's just a licensed name. Cool. I'll have to look out for some of those. I'm kind of partial to strawberries myself. Like I said, man, you take a couple of those strawberries and get ready for bed. So, Pokey, what are you drinking? Oh, I had to have a quarter share themed beverage myself uh, this evening. I have um, I have iced coffee, though uh, it's dressed up a little bit with. Um, some sambuca. Um, I've I've always been kind of partial to, to uh, hot coffee with black sambuca in it, and I thought I would try to see how well it worked with iced coffee. And to my delight, it works just fine. Though I'm using clear sambuca, not not black. And here I thought you were going to say rum. No, no, sambuca is is um, it, it's a liqueur. It's it's really sugary. Uh, it tastes like black licorice. And um, as a kid, I really despised black licorice. But, you know, you put it in a liqueur and you kind of acquire a taste for it. I'm really partial to black licorice now. Um, and very often if you order Sambuca in a bar, it's an Italian uh, liqueur, by the way. But very often if you order Sambuca in a bar, you'll get it in a 
uh, slightly, they'll pour the shot, but instead of putting in a shot glass, they'll put it in like a Tom Collins glass, and they'll put maybe three coffee beans at the bottom, and you just kind of down those with it. So um, Sambuca has kind of a long tradition of, of being mixed with coffee, I believe. Uh, and somebody else, you know, poured me one with, with black Sambuca and hot coffee, and I don't notice any difference whatsoever between black Sambuca and clear Sambuca other than the color. Uh, but if you've ever had um, maybe like Jägermeister, uh, if Jägermeister tasted good, it would taste like Sambuca. Yeah, I, I'll have to try that sometime because I'm kind of a fan of Uzo. Yep. Now, Uzo, I think I've only had once. I don't really remember it, but I do remember it being a, a black licorice flavor. And that's a Greek uh, beverage, I believe. It is. So, yeah, thumbs up to iced coffee with Sambuca. Keeping with the tradition of me being completely boring, I have grapefruit juice. Nothing special, but it's delicious. That is all. Excellent. Did you did you hand squoze it, or is it from a bottle? There was no squozing. <laughs> it came straight ah. from a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Totally traditional. Also keeping with tradition, I have IPA. Big shock to anyone who's listened for any amount of time. Yeah, really? <laughs> In fact, I believe that was predicted while you're away from the mic. IPA. <laughs> the IPA of the month is Shipyard's Signature Series 4X IPA, coming in at a wonderful 9.25% alcohol by volume. The bottle I have in my hand is one point one pint and six ounces. Holy smokes, you're going to sleep well tonight. So here What's goes. What's the IBU? I don't see it on here. I'll have to look in a minute. Wow, that is a lot of beer at at nine percent. You you should have invited a friend over to share that with you. I did invite my friends over. You're just further away. It's kind of hard to drink beer through a mic, bro. I am looking to see if the IBUs are listed. Uh, judging by the taste, I'd guess it's fairly high because it is kind of bitey. I have absolutely no concept of IBUs that the. the it doesn't mean anything to me. Some beers, I think, wow, this is really bitter. And it's like, oh, 38. And then other beers, like, well, this isn't bitter at all. It's totally sweet. And like, oh, 38. And like, uh, all right, whatever. Well, it depends on what kind of hops are in it, what kind of malts are in it, how how that flavor is offset. And it is 70 BUs. I don't know if those are the same as the IBUs, but it says 70 BUs. And that tastes about right. Yeah, can you taste anything else? Uh, beer. <laughs> I was going to say through 70? No, probably not. That's kind of the whole idea of an IPA, though, is that you don't get to taste anything but bitter. I don't know. I've had a lot of them that the hops in it are more citrusy hops. I had a friend bring one over once that actually had a a lot of grapefruit notes to it, which is odd that I liked it because I don't usually like grapefruit, but the grapefruit with the flavor in the hops was really good. That's neat. Now, that's strange because the citrusy notes usually come from the hops, not – not. Uh, uh, oh, no, that's what it was coming from is there were – it was um, the hops, but the, the, the citrus notes you got were, were very uh, grapefruit-esque rather than a more, you know, lemony, mellow citrus. But – it's gigantic, and it's fantastic, and I'm sure I'm going to be feeling really good here in about another 15 minutes. Excellent. Well, just grab another one for us. <sighs> Thankfully for me, I only got one. 
<laughs> Which was a pint, pint and a half. I don't think he's going to have another one. Yeah, um, bought this individually, uh, specifically for tonight, because I've been looking at it at one of the local markets for quite a while, and I kept passing it by and passing it by, and I'm like, I need something special for book club. And it was reasonably priced, so it came home. Oh, that's so sweet of you. I, I, I also try to do something special for book club, but I've never bought one of those big 7 to $15 pint bottles. Uh, this specific brewery, Shipyard, has the signature series that that's the only size they make them in. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of breweries that will only – they'll do their special stuff and only put it in you know, a pint bottle and then charge you seven and a half bucks for it. It's usually worth it, though. Yeah, very often it is. Um, but you can you can go broke drinking beer that's worth it. I hear that. Hey, something I forgot to add uh, about mine. If anybody ever does want to try, uh, you know, Sambuca and coffee, um, the, you just make your coffee the way you make coffee, the, just the way you normally do it. If you use cream and sugar, do cream and sugar. If you like it black, do it black. But do the exact same. Don't change anything. And then when you got your coffee all mixed up, then pour yourself a shot or two of Sambuca in there. You know, that might make my day-to-day life a little bit better. Yeah, don't do it in the morning, not on your way into work. This is not what I'm advocating. It's, uh, you know, just from time to time as a special treat. Too late, Pokey. So who was it wanted to spoil this book so bad? I guess probably the best spoiler point would be the encounter with the captain from the other ship. Wait, what did you say? A captain from another ship? That's like the third book in the series. Oh, is it? Well, I, I told you I might be confused. I thought that was the first book. No, that was, that was definitely the, almost definitely the second book. Okay, how about the tailor? The, the tailor was in the first book, wasn't it? Second. Uh, second. Because that was when he was going out with the people he starts hanging out with in the second book. Now we've got spoilers for our spoilers. This is getting out of hand, guys. <laughs> Yo, dog. Well, this, this, is, what happens like I don't, this <laughs> is what happens when I don't li- start listening early enough. I'm sorry. I told you I might be inaccurate. Well, okay. So the basic plot of this book, then, just to get everyone up to speed, uh, Ishmael's mom dies. He ships out on a merchant freighter because it's the only way he can get off the planet without paying for it or joining the Marines. Um, he meets up with his friend uh, Philip or Pip, who's kind of a kind of a uh, lost slacker. soul, a slacker, yeah, a, a ship without a sail kind of kid, and um, they kind of help each other along. Uh, Pip teaches Ishmael what he knows about trading. Um, you know, buying stuff in one port and selling it in the next. And Ishmael teaches Pip uh, basically how to take tests, how to study for tests, how to how to have some direction in his life. And they they influence one another. All the other people on the ships on on the ship, you know, wish them well and join in and help out and are helped by them at the same time. And they set up this uh, this co op. Um, that allows them to sell their goods at flea markets in port rather than trying to sell, you know, on the down low, uh, because there's all kinds of risk involved selling that way. But at the flea markets, they're, they're, it turns out in the end, they're quite successful. And that risk isn't just a theoretical risk because Pip gets the crap beat out of him 
and that's kind of what is the catalyst to getting them to, hey, how do we do this in a way that doesn't end up with people getting beaten nearly to death? Right. He does get mugged and robbed. And there is the one plot bullet that I can find in the entire series is getting mugged and having cash taken off of him. And it is the only mention that I can recall in any of the books. Uh, It's the only mention of cash. Every other transaction, every other mention of money is always an electronic transfer. So that may be a plot bullet. Well, you would – I guess this is maybe – um, just kind of trying to to rationalize it, but you would think that at something like a flea market, they would have to have some kind of physical currency to trade for their physical goods, rather than doing electronic transfers. I will take um, a little bit of a stance that that is not the only plot bullet. I think there is another <laughs> plot bullet that gets used over and over and over again. And even though I know it's a plot bullet. I am totally okay with it because <laughs> the thing about these books is the plot is all character driven. I mean, there are occasionally something environmental that will, but I mean, most of it is driven by the characters. And so there needs to be something to spur movement. So sometimes there has to be a plot bullet wedged in to make it move forward a little bit, but there's one that just keeps happening. Before you go there, I have a, to backtrack. Did Pip actually have any cash taken off of him? I thought he had goods, and it was the goods that were taken from him, not the currency. No, no, it was after the transaction. He he's carrying cash in his money belt. They say, you know, it's like oh, that's that's right. why he gets the heck beaten out of him. He says, "Well, I've only got five dollars in my wallet and or five credits," and hands it to him, and then. They beat the crap out of him, and while he's unconscious, they uh, take his money bill. Yeah, now I remember that. And while they're at the, uh, when they come back from the flea market, they mention specifically, it's so much nicer doing transactions this way than dealing in cash. So they're they're doing electronic transfers at the at the flea market as well, for the most part. I mean, they they don't mention cash again after. Pip is is mugged. Yeah, and that you're right. That is interesting, Pokey. Because if you wanted to transfer your cash to the, uh, uh, you know, to electronic means, you'd have to go, you know, you'd ha- you'd have to go through the ship, somebody at the ship, and say, "Hey, I've got this stack of cash. I would I would like it put in my account." Now, throughout the series, he just says that they uh, they thumb the transaction. So apparently, there's a thumbprint and a, a fingerprint reader somewhere but um and that and that's good enough for me i don't have a problem with that but now i want to hear about taj's plot bullets go ahead taj shoot plot bullet holes all through my concept of these books it, it's one bullet it just keeps getting used it's it's, it's a well-liked bullet i for the majority of the time everything that happens to ishmael is based on his own work his own just like his creation Except for and, – and the first book is not the most egregious. It actually happens a lot more later in the series. The fact that dumb luck just happens all the time to this cat. <laughs> Things will work out mysteriously for the better on several occasions. And I'm totally cool with it because it pushes the story forward. It's not egregious enough where I'm like, really? But this guy is is remarkably lucky. And I'm not going to say – not all of it is not his work. 
because most of the time I think it is well constructed to where it is his work that gets him to places. But sometimes it's just like, eh, we're just going to push him over the edge with a little luck just to make, just to get him in the right spot for the next chapter. But But fortune favors the bold and fortune favors the prepared. And he's nothing if not bold and fairly prepared. Okay. Now I do not have the rest of the series fresh in my mind. I specifically, like I said, I find it hard to listen to this book and not listen to the rest of them because I just want the story to keep going and going. Uh, this time for the audiobook club, I listened to this book uh, twice in a row. <laughs> just, I listened to it uh, over the weekend while I was cleaning my shed, and I listened to it again uh, yesterday and today while I was building a, a bed frame. And uh, so I've listened to it twice in a row recently, so I don't have the other books fresh in my mind. But that said, I'm going to debate you here and say that the luck that happens to him is not such a plot bullet and not so out of the ordinary um, as to say that he's telling his own story. Of course he's going to use the highlight reel. It's like if you go on uh, Facebook and you you look at, at anybody on Facebook, you think, oh, geez, only good things ever happen to this person. Well, of course it's all they ever want to paste on Facebook. It's it's their highlight reel. Um, and that's why, you know, young kids are so damaged by reading Facebook. They think that everybody else on, on the planet is so glamorous and, and glorified, but they're just showing you their highlight reel. Uh, that's number one. He's only going to tell you the interesting, fortunate things that happen to him, really. But also, as X1101 said, he's uh, abnormally well prepared. He's as well prepared as people should be, you know, as, 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 I mean, everybody should be prepared. We don't often prepare. He, that seems to be one of his real talents is that he can prepare for almost any situation and he knows how to deal with just about any situation. And when you do that, any situation can look like you're lucky, like you're fortunate because you've been prepared for it. So I'll use those two things to, to say that I don't believe, um, that he's so exceptionally lucky and that that's such a plot bullet. I mean, to further your point, it seems like he has decent breaks. He's just somewhere between smart enough and naive enough to take them, where someone who was either less intelligent or someone who was uh, raised in the lifestyle might be a little more cautious. And he's just like, eh, screw it. Let's try this. And it ends up landing really well for him. Pokey, who the hell are you following on Facebook? Because everybody I follow on Facebook, either they've lost their jobs or their parents are dead or relatives are dead or something going on. I'm not following anybody on Facebook. I don't look at Facebook at all. I don't belong to Facebook. I just, a couple years back, I went through some crap where my daughter was following people on Facebook, and I, I believe it was a cause of, of a depressive state that she was in. I, I, I fully blame Facebook and Snapchat and the like. I wasn't going to make kids, the same comment. Kids should not be on Facebook. That's, you know, uh, parents should keep their kids off Facebook because, man, kids are so mean. Like, you know, nothing. I, I mean, yeah, I took my lumps when I was in school, but my Goodness, you yep. know, Pe- kids in but, school but people, age. People, on the other hand, people ought to develop a thick skin because I can't imagine somebody's, you know, hanging myself because something I said on face 
somebody said about me on Facebook, but that's uh, I'm not kidding, and that's not the topic for discussion tonight. I mean, school age kids were are generally just terrible individuals. I can remember people being generally horrible to me, and probably everyone else, but I wasn't everyone else all through school, and kind of don't like look don't look forward to having to raise a kid in that. I think it depends on you know how big a place to how big a school was. You know, my place in school was everybody expected me to have a higher score than everybody else. So I, I kind of rode that. But you know, I, I you know, I took a I took some crap. But you know, we had clicks and stuff, but it was not like the clicks. You know, it's not like the jocks did not talk to the. You know, people did well in school. We did okay. You know, I I, I will say we were probably unkind to people who either through through genetic misfortune or drug abuse could not follow a conversation like the rest of us could. I, I, I will fully admit that, that those people were not people we sought out uh, for companionship. But the rest of us, you know, it's, yeah, there was like a jock click and a brain click or whatever. It's not like you, you know, we couldn't hang out with each other and have fun. I'm going to go back a little bit. And we were talking about like the balance of know-how and his uh, naivete towards certain things, Um, especially later. Like there were consequences to him not knowing things. And and I like that. That kind of that's one of the reasons I don't mind what I perceive to be like and everybody else thinks I'm crazy Uh, is because there are consequences sometimes to it. And so it's kind of balanced out, especially I'm thinking later, like the fifth book, there's some real super serious consequences to him just like being completely aloof about like social dynamics and, and things like that. Well, this may apply to the whole series. I mean, you know, a lot, uh, at least in the first book, there's a lot of them stuff about him being socially timid about contact with the other sex because they're thrown into the place where they're all, you know, bathing together and, and in the sauna together and such stuff. But suddenly, I, I guess must be the, the second book, all, all of a sudden, he's Hugo Suave. And in the third book, you know... I think you mean uh, Rico Suave? Rico Suave, whatever, you know. You know, in the third book, after they get out, after they all get out of the academy, you know, and all all these girls who are with them on the ship, they just can't wait to stand in line. I don't think it's to spoil the second, third, and fourth book, man. No, but I mean, just, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I've always been the nice guy. My friends always said, don't be the nice guy because women don't respond to that. And this is, uh, we've completely gone off the rails. So let's not talk about that. Uh, Off the rails is where we tend to spend most of our time. If we get on the rails, we're doing lucky. If we get near the rails, we're doing good. Yeah. Usually we can't see the rails from here. Around here, we have a saying for that kind of thing. It's you can't get there from here. That you didn't say it right though. It's you can't get there from here. Yeah, I'm not a native. So, anyways, we have a saying around here. It's that book though. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. And I would like to, for once, it's not Pokey pulling us back on topic. It's Taj. 
Yeah, I'm busy using two fingers to type links into the uh, show notes. You know, I love this series so much, but I feel like I don't have that much to say about first book. I have one thing that I think, and we kind of touched on it. There are no wasted characters. Like, every character, even if they're not super important to the plot, is fleshed out enough to where I do not feel like I don't know a character when they're being referenced or being spoken to. Tons of times in sci-fi, I feel like, oh, it's that one guy that had two lines a chapter ago, and I don't really remember. I just know he's the guy in the back of the science console or whatever. I never felt that way. Like, once somebody was introduced, they were introduced and used in a way to where I, I pretty much instantly had a mental picture of that person and could recall them just by using their name. Um, and so that was that was interesting. And all the books are kind of like that. There's some where some characters, I think, just because there's so many, get short shrift in the series. But really, almost every character is really fleshed out in a way to where they make an impact. There, there's no, like, throwaways. Well, I think, like all of us, we can't believe Trader's Tale has not been um, a series of movies or, or, or a TV series yet. I can. It's too good to be a TV series. Yeah, there are not enough lasers or explosions for this to get on TV. I mean, regardless of how good TV has gotten, um, there's no way. <laughs> I mean, what was it? The uh, they made the movie of the uh, what was it called? The the Horatio books, like where his name is from. They made the one movie, and supposedly it's it's a good movie, but it's the books, and it's really not ever needed to be a movie. Like, it was just good as a book, and so the movie didn't work. I kind of feel like that's probably the same thing as this. Wait, that's I mean, Horatio. Horatio Hornblower is, what you, is where the name Horatio comes from, but this is Ishmael Wong, and Call Me Ishmael comes from uh, Moby Dick. Yeah, but it's Ishmael Horatio Wong. Yeah, I know. I'm, I, but the Fair Horatio enough. Hornblower, they made a movie of one of the books. And it like the people who like the books like the movie, but everybody else is like, eh. Now, wasn't that a Gregory Peck movie? Obviously, I barely know what I'm talking about, so <laughs> probably not the best person to ask. But why not? He, he was a good actor. Let's say he was in it. Are, are you thinking of, uh, oh, what's his name, The Other Side of the World or whatever it is? Uh, I'm trying to think of it. Which is sort of a similar thing. What I do know, it was a movie about a ship. And one of the people on that ship was named Horatio. That's where my knowledge ends. Okay, I, I, I want to say the Gregory Peck movie was really pretty good. Far Side of the World. What's... Oh, uh, Master and Commander. Are you thinking of that one? Possibly. I don't know. Which I also liked. But that's a far more modern uh, uh, movie. I was thinking it was fairly modern because I had heard about it. Master and Commander is Russell Crowe, I think. Yes, it is. That's who I was trying to think of. Hopefully, he doesn't sing in it. I'm just saying. What we were ta- what were we were talking about? What's the name of this book? That book, though. Because I had something pertinent to say, but I've completely forgotten it. Uh, what was it you were going to say earlier, Todd? Um, that you wanted to wait for after the spoilers? It was the whole luck thing. That, that's really what I was referencing. Okay. So yeah, the only luck seemed to be, uh, t- to me, that seemed fairly consistent was the luck in their trading and that he just seemed to be better at ending stuff than 
everybody else. But then in this book, I kind of noticed he didn't really find any of it. Everybody else said, hey, look at that. And he kind of glommed onto it. Well, I mean, just even. Yeah, it's, it's strange that nobody else has decided, oh, let's trade Wilkies before. I mean, he never did end up selling those, though. No, he doesn't. Um, oh, second. <laughs> anyway, uh, he. Uh, the rest of the books. That's true. Crap, I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, he still got Wilk. I guess he couldn't have done too well because he still has Wilkies to give away in the last book. Oh, I remember now. Um, just the fact that he even got a spot on a ship was luck. I mean, it was partially because he's charismatic, but really, it, he just got lucky because he was talking to somebody and they kind of kind of pitied him and he had the right know-how that they were like, yeah, they'll make it. Uh, yes and no. That was also really, really well explained when she said, you know, because she said, look, here's how it really works. Um, is that if you get called, you'll get called last minute. So be ready for it. So that, you know, that he was going to be lucky one way or the other. It seems like he was lucky that the first ship that came in. But even she said, look, there's three ships coming in. So, I mean, the only real spot of luck seemed to be that it was that particular ship where, you know, for instance, her nephew worked ship and uh, Captain Jagone happens to be this this altruistic captain um which does show through that's that's not a complete spoiler for later books that comes up again but she's she's fairly altruistic in this book as well uh i mean that was fortunate for him but i don't see that him landing a spot on a ship was all that lucky yeah we got to remember later in the series he he gets landed as second officer on this really crap and corrupt ship third <laughs> We're just going to keep doing that all night, aren't we? Well, no. Second, because first officer would be second in command, and then was... He, he was he was a boot third officer. They, they used that phrase, boot third, till I was tired of hearing it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I will, you know... Uh, I've mainlined this. Sur- surrender, surrender to your greater knowledge, then. Uh, I wouldn't say greater knowledge. Uh, more recent proximity. I've mainlined this entire series in the last week. And, if, you know, of course, eventually by the end of the book, he shows up his superior officers to be not inefficient, which is the main thing, gets them fired and corrupt. I would just say, as a heads up to anybody who reads the rest of the books, the book that we are currently referencing is rough. It was hard to listen to sometimes. I mean, it was it was totally worth it, but I mean, it was rough. I cannot agree with that more. I didn't want to keep listening because I'm like, I know something awful is going to happen. Something awful is happening and he's going to figure out what it is and it's going to be terrible. And it was. But the conclusion of it, the way he pulls through it really makes it worth it and i mean it needs the awfulness for the conclusion to come through but it that doesn't make the awfulness any less awful okay i when you started talking i thought it was like you were saying oh this first book wasn't written very well compared to the rest of them but you're saying you're saying that the uh what goes on in the third book and it's there's not too much that much graphic description uh, it doesn't need to be. It, it's it's just really uncomfortable. Right. You're, he's in a situation in the third book where, you know, 
he he's the one good man um, among the well, I wouldn't say among the officers because there are other good people among the officers, but he's not in a position where he can challenge the people who are doing bad things. So that book. There you go. That's what I'm talking Thank about. Thank you, Pokey. At least we're in the same series this time. We didn't go too far afield. You know, that's true. <laughs> but, you know, people may have just heard this the first time and don't even know that there's sequels to this book. You know, I had a feeling that we weren't going to be able to keep this to one book. At least no one has complained about how the final book ends. That's, uh... Well, don't tell me. No, I'm, so, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Don't. We don't even want to talk. Don't even hint at that. I have like five episodes left, and I really, really tried to finish it today. But I've been on, I've been stuck on this damn conference call for almost all of my time at work for the last week, mostly due to some other people's incompetence, and it's really cramping my style. Well, it's also not well, true because there is three more final books that aren't done yet. Yeah, I know. Uh, Nathan Lowe said. The character of of Ishmael Wong will come back, but he's not going to be the central character of a book anymore. But when they say there's going to be three more, that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, I really like Nathan's uh, writing style, as well as his reading style, as well as his voice. Um, I, I think that's all excellent. Yeah, And, you know, we missed on one thing earlier is that he does just enough vocally to keep the characters separate without being the guy who does a hundred voices. They're just little things, tone and pacing and mannerisms that you can kind of tell who's speaking, even though it's all his voice. Uh, though he does screw it up once or twice in this book. Yeah, a little bit, but there's a lot of characters in this book. Yeah, there are. But it was it was funny because uh maybe twice he screws up cookie's voice and that's weird because cookie is probably the most distinct character and there's once or twice where cookie just sounds like someone completely different like not even in the book maybe cookie's just one of those dudes that like just tries on different you know mannerisms and accents just to <laughs> play around cookie is vocal chicken he sounds like everyone and you know his description in the book is that Cookie is this little wirely got wirely got wiry guy, and that's not how I pictured him listening to the uh, uh, to the book. No, he doesn't sound small with his his deep voice. You're right. I mean, he sounds like this big jolly guy. So, uh, I'm reminded of something I was going to say earlier, where I did find an inconsistency. I, what I believe to be an inconsistency um, from this book to later books, the the cash was one. The other thing was um, in this book, uh, when Pip is describing his um, methods of trading and how he figures out where stuff's going to go and how he weighs the options, he mentions that uh, when they get to the jump point, that there's uh, wormholes there, there that, that could lead to two or three different systems. And uh, through the rest of the books, there doesn't seem to be any mention of wormholes. They have this Burleson drive that lets them just jump from point to point. And I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe in one of the books, they even jump 
to like a midway point and uh and they they so they kind of get to decide where they jump as long as they're not jumping into a gravity well so i thought that the uh the wormhole was a little inconsistent uh but later they use that that because later later in the book they talk about you know there there's a midpoint uh jump point but there just happens to be no there's no planet there to do commerce on so yeah uh, later in the series they do explain that about how far a ship can jump and how the 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 burleson drives create wormholes and basically bend space to get you from point to point but ships of a certain size with a certain amount of power can only bend like this much space which doesn't make sense if you're bending space you're it doesn't matter whether it's a a million units or one unit, it's still just bent to no distance. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, that's the, that's the impression I have is that the the military with an unlimited budget, you know, they're not doing solar sailing there. You know, they're flying around like Starfleet wherever they want to go. Yeah, but it's – they're definitely some kind of wormhole generator because later it becomes a big point that – they pop out at certain percentages closer than where they thought or further away from where they thought. So it's, it's not like they're going to a wormhole that's stable and is always there. They're, they're creating these wormholes and then just kind of, kind of estimating where they'll pop out, I guess. Yeah. And that's what I mean. And Pip says that there are other wormholes that are already there. Uh, And I'm glad you mentioned that that they were talking about percentages because I wasn't sure if that was from this series or from, um, from uh, Lost in Bronx's series. I couldn't remember if it was from one or the other, and maybe it's even in both. But uh... No, that's definitely from later in Nathan's series that there was, a, there was always a percentage. You know, you go, you go in the jump point, you don't come out. Right, right. Okay, and so now here's the other thing that's never explained in the series, and I questioned since the first time I heard it, was uh, the solar sails themselves. So, according to um, to Ishmael, the solar seal solar sails are electronically generated. So they're just kind of a uh, an electronic field around the ship, and you can you know imagine like some big bubbles. And they have a gravity keel as well, which I imagine is for steering the ship. That's what keeps them uh, straight and orients the sail uh, towards the solar winds. And they use that technology to to accelerate the ship out of the gravity well uh into the into deep enough space where there's no gravity around and they can engage the burleson drive and all of that i i follow all that i accept um however after the jump when they get back to the next um solar system they use the gravity sails to go back in and that doesn't make sense to me. To me, it would seem like, okay, well, let's divert all the power to the gravity keel and let that pull us in. But they consistently say they're using gravity sails to sail in. And it it makes me think you could only push away from a star with a gravity sail uh, unless you're tacking in like you would do with real wind. But then you need a flat plane. And these, these things don't remind me of flat planes. And they're not talking about course changes that are so dramatic uh, as they, they would be if you were tacking into the wind. So what do you guys think of that? Anything? I thought they did mention it later in the book. That they were when they were going towards the sun that they had to tack and that's why you would have to have a keel because you, 
you know, you couldn't tack unless you had a really big keel that would say you got to keep on the same course. Well, and it's not probably a straight linear trajectory. There's probably an arc to it to where they could angle things to where they could get a momentum to do that, to move forward. But no, I, I always got this impression that they were tacking into the solar wind and then, you know, so that the, uh, well, probably depending on where the jump point was, that the, that the route directly to the planet would be on the inbound would be faster than the outbound. Well, that makes no sense if they're actually tacking because when you're tacking into the wind, you're going pretty slow because you're, you're, you know, driving into it at angles. You're trying to get a wind that's ahead of you to drive you sideways, and then you you change direction and go sideways to the other side. But if you're sailing away from the wind, you could just put your sails out full and, and put them, like, straight sideways, 90 degrees to the wind, and go very quickly. And that doesn't seem to be what they actually do. No, they never quite describe trajectory in this. So you don't know, are they going straight out from the center of the solar system? Are they spiraling out with the planets? Are they, uh, you know, going straight up away from the the, uh, orbit of the planet? It doesn't really say, um, other than in one of the very, very later books where they're back on their way in. Um, So I'm I'm just not Not quite sure. Not until it becomes relevant. Yeah, I'm, I'm just certain tacking into the solar wind is is mentioned in a later book. Now, how you would do that, how you would establish a keel with the solar wind is probably beyond anything that I could explain. Yeah, I don't know. I just didn't know if anybody else had any thoughts on it. I mean, what he's trying to do is compare, you know, space travel to the old scoot, the schooners of old, and pretty good... Uh, job but i mean we don't have the he doesn't have the tech we don't have the tech to explain how it's done no and i i'm not saying that it ruins the story in any way um but you know i'm just pointing out what i felt like was an inconsistency and it it kind of stops me and makes me wonder but not to the point where i'm uh like punching out you know I have a feeling if we asked Nathan, he could explain it. <laughs> Just for so, as detailed as everything else is, I feel like he probably has an explanation. You may and be all right. Through, all through the series, you know, we have things like, you know, uh, except for the military, there are no firearms available because, you know, well, you're going through TSA every time you go to the planet, you know, you get a. Uh, you get a blade through because that's a tool for a sailor. Uh, but there's, you know, there's no ray guns or anything. There, you you get the idea that maybe the military has that, but uh, maybe the police or whatever. But it's beyond anything that most civilians could do. So all the violence uh, through the series has either been people getting beat up or cut with a knife. Space TSA is like the most depressing thought I've had all day. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, because Space TSA, they they only pick people from the no-fly no list. I'm sorry. Brought Fox News into it again. You know, did... I just twice in one show, you've brought Fox into it. All right, so this reminds me of something I was thinking of um, that I wanted to make sure I brought up, and I, I wouldn't have otherwise. Um one of the things about this book that 
I don't know how to put it. I, I'd like to say relatable, but it's it isn't. It's the opposite of relatable. It's the way that I wish things were. Um, he gets on this ship, and everyone on the ship is conscious of the fact that they're all on the same mission, regardless of their departments. And it's been my experience in any workplace I've ever been in that departments, even for the same company, even when the overall goal is the same, departments always seem to be competing with one another. And uh, throughout this series, and, and even in this book, um, people seem to be really open to the idea of, oh, well, you know, if you pass this test and you get these qualifications and you're a good person, we can move you on to this department where you can help the ship even more, and, which is the right attitude. And I can relate to that part of it. Um, but in my experience in the real world, in any workplace, departments are like, no, we got a good person. We are hanging on to them tooth and nail because it's so hard to find good people. And we've invested time to train this person, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's one thing I wish was more uh, prevalent in, in the workplace and in the real world. Well, it seems to me that uh, Nathan may have some insight somehow into the uh, naval mariner's life uh, as far as this book series has has mirrored that, even to the fact, well, you know, there was a slide Pip couldn't pass a written test, but, you know, with a potential supervisor going around and pointing out how do you fix that, how do you fix that, uh, you know, he easily breezed through a, an, an oral test and showing the and the story goes back to, I don't know how far you'd have to go back to sailing days, but, uh, oh, well, in the old days, you, you, you know, you couldn't have a written test because your sailors couldn't read and write. Now, I think I, I should think by the time we got into space that, you know, that the average person could actually read and write. But apparently this is some a tradition has persisted throughout the centuries that you could perform, perform an oral exam and give somebody a rating. Being able to read and write, though, doesn't mean you're able to take tests. Yeah, I don't know. I, just... No, no, I... I, I I was not saying that. I mean, I'm pretty good at tests too, but there's people who aren't. Well, I'm specifically thinking about the IT world where certifications kind of run wild. There are, you know, some people who can read a brain dump, take a test, get a certification, and so they just get stacks and stacks of certifications, but if you actually ask them to do the work, they're, you know, can't. And then there are some people who can do the work but could never get the certification for it because they're, you know, bad at test taking. And then people in the middle who can do both. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm certain of that. There's people who could pass the test, but they could certainly do the job. Yeah, that's a can of worms I don't even want to open. I was going to say, I, I'm not sure what to say about that, and I really can't speak to that because I don't even know if um, – I don't know if, if taking an oral test is a tradition that's followed today. So I don't know if, uh, you know, assuming that it carries into the future is even the right assumption. It, it may be just something that they 
they reinstated, but I don't know anything about maritime traditions. Well, I expect it might be with all the differences between uh, language barriers and stuff like that. I wouldn't be surprised. One thing they didn't bring in is Ishmael crossing the uh, global equator and having to eat the uh, cherry out of the navel of his supervisor. Don't think that's in this book. No, it's a little more tasteful than that. Well, because the only supervisor he has in this book is Cookie. And that would be scary. No, that's kind of what 50's talking about. They they do, like, the first time you cross the equator um, on a, a sailing vessel, or not even doesn't have to be a sailing vessel, even modern day, the first time you cross the equator, there's a... Yeah, this, this is military and civilian. Yeah, there's kind of a hazing that goes on, and it doesn't always have to do with cherries and navels. There's been other stuff I've heard of that people have told me about that's just usually you have to do crazy stuff. But, you know, it's it's a hazing, like any other hazing. Yeah, something to do with Neptune always. I'm from the Midwest. We have land. I don't know anything about maritime traditions. I'm from the Midwest, but now I can drive like a half hour and be at the ocean. Not even a half hour. And poor Pegwall's listening going, what is this ocean you people keep talking about? I mean, I work where they build ships, so... So if Pegwall uh, trips in the ocean, can we hold him down? You're in Kansas, man. Be my guest. If you can reach him, it's all up to you. It's all you. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like a bunch of us are going to meet in Ohio this year. So if we can get an ocean to Ohio, we might be able to make this work. When yeah, are this, you meeting? This is when- what I was... Th- this is what I was talking about. There is talk about some of the guys from uh, uh, Linux Slugcast kidnapping Pegwall and dragging him to OLF. And if they're going to do that, definitely I'm going to be there. How many ounces of seawater can you bring on a plane now? Like four. I, I might be the one going to get him. So if you could FedEx it or UPS it to me, I, I don't think there's any limit in a car. Yeah, so wait, put, it, put it in a spray bottle. You can get in with it. So wait, I could FedEx you like a two-liter bottle of ocean water. If it means I get to baptize Pegwall, sure. Can you get 330 at the same time? I mean, you know, get some aerosol cans so you don't have to deal with all the kung fu stuff. You're a Buddhist Baptist, Taj? That's, uh, that's shocking. That's the one thing, like, I... 330 was gone by the time I got here, but it's like... Me and 330 are the same on so many levels. We both do Kung Fu. We're both Buddhist. We're both into Linux. Like, it's like, I feel like he, he left to make room for me. I don't know what happened, but that's that's how I feel. There's only there's only room for one Buddhist Kung Fu, do, Kung Fu practicing Linux user in that area. There can be only one. There is no spoon. The cake is a lie. Yeah, but the difference between you guys is while you may read 4chan, he posts. Ooh, that's quite an indictment, sir. And now I need to go sanitize my brain again. All right, so I, said, I think I've said, maybe... I've said before, if you guys can guarantee me Pegwall at OLF, I'm coming. If you can, you know, if you can come, you guarantee me uh, Pegwall at 330, I may even pay you. I see the rest of us just aren't good enough for you to show up 50. I get that, but come on, man. <laughs> You know, no, man, no, I want to hang out with everybody. It's just like, oh, 
I should not style myself this way, but you guys have seen 330 and and uh, Peggy, that's like that. Uh, it's almost like that first year at OCP Live. I was like the uh, third third member of the uh, people hanging out, and I'm not, I'm not nearly as crazy as any of those guys. So I don't know why, but uh, I think I've said about all I can think to say about this audio book, except that. Um, if anyone hasn't listened to the audiobook and they're still listening to this, uh, I will say absolutely go listen to it. I recommend it a hundred percent. Um, I listened to the entirety of it in a day. Um, it, and it's just, it, it's unbelievably good. Oh, and by the way, one thing I didn't mention is, and you don't get a lot of it, but there are points in this book that are extraordinarily emotional. Did anybody else kind of have to like choke back a couple of times where, you know, it's just something really, uh, you know, a, a spectacular character showed through and, and that kind of thing. Anybody else get that? Or is that just me? Cause I'm getting old. No, I'm right there with you. And it keeps happening in all the books. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I like them so much. Okay, good. Because I did get choked up a little bit, a couple of times even. Like, um, you know, when when he says, "Oh, the captain asked him, what are you going to name the the uh, the co-op?" and he he names it, "Oh, well, the the uh, you know mercantile exchange after the grandmother's uh, name." Same thing. Of you know, of course, we'll name it that. I got a little choked up there. There's several points throughout where I I got a little choked up. Maybe like like I said, maybe it's just because I'm old. But I'd like to think it's because the book is just that well written. I'm going to go with both. Yeah, what was the what was the uh, they're treating Lois McKendrick as a person and all that kind of stuff? Uh, what that was is the idea that whatever the ship is named after, person or whatever, is kind of considered the ship's spirit guide, and one of the births on the ship, a full share birth, carries that name. And then they can use that birth, the 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 profits that birth gets, that that birth's mass allotment, to do things for the crew. The captain gets to this is this is one of the privileges of being captain, and they uh, and not the not the share or the money that the birth would get. They said there is no no financial uh, kitty paid by the ship. There there happened to have been a budget in this book for specifically what they were using it for but i think that's because they seeded it um but yeah it's for the it's at the captain's use and the captain's discretion to do this wait the it only got the mass allotment for a full share not the pay yeah yes there are no no wages no share payment none, none of that okay i may have passed over that part there, there does appear to be some type of account or accounting that that can be done, um, but it isn't like it isn't like this birth is just sitting there collecting money and there's this huge fund over time when these things go unused. It's just it doesn't seem to be that way. Uh, you know, if it was specifically in some of the later books, some of those captains would have taken advantage of it for for less than altruistic purposes for sure. Now, Pokey, did you ever try to get a hold of uh, Nathan Wolf for this episode, or if not, can we no, bring I didn't. him in? I didn't. I would have uh, 
I would have been almost embarrassed uh, to have him here while I gushed over his book in this. I mean, I know, you know, I've, I've gushed over books with authors around before, but um, it'd be a whole nother level in this case. And I, I don't know if I could have done that to myself or to him. That was when we did um, the Cory Doctorow book. That was what I was concerned about is just fanboying so hard it was kind of sad and pathetic. And to an extent, I think we all did that with uh, Lost in Bronx's book. I think the way we well, did it Of course, but it's a this great book. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I concur with your decision, Pokey, but uh, uh, if we could ever get Nathan on at some time, I think, you know, I think it'd be worthwhile. I agree with what Todd was about to say. <laughs> Thanks, bro. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I, I think the way we did it with Lost in Bronx was probably the perfect way. Um, do it. They haven't really heard it yet. <laughs> so we could say whatever we kind of want and, and we feel good and they feel good because they don't know what's happened. And then hopefully on the other side, we'll find out when it airs if Lost in Bronx is still friends with us or not. Well, I also still enjoyed the episode we did with uh, uh, City of Masks where the author showed up. It was still a lot of fun because all of these – well, what did they really mean? We could get right from the horse's mouth to use a phrase. I totally agree. Uh, at the same time, I don't think the uh, Christiana Ellis episode would have gone exactly the same if she weren't there. Now, I would have been the same because I loved it. I gushed over it. But I get the impression that other people maybe held back a little who, who didn't like it as much as I did. That reminds me of something else that I found interesting. Did you notice in the later books in the series there were a couple of ships, characters named after prominent people in the whole Podio Books community? Oh, yeah, of course. That's fantastic, isn't it? That's that's excellent. Oh, I thought so, too. I just – it was like, wait a minute. I know that name. Yeah, yeah. There is – yes, you're right. There is a ship named the Christiana Ellis. And then there was a crew member named after somebody else in the community. Oh, I don't know if I knew that or not. I don't know if I knew it and forgot it or didn't know it at all. I don't remember who now. I should have written it down. Now I wonder. Now I have to wonder. I really have to wonder because I bet it, it. It's probably someone like uh, was it? It wasn't Scott Sigler. I would have remembered that. It was it a was... female female name. Oh, okay. Then maybe I don't remember that because the only other person I could think of um, that it might be would be uh, maybe Phil Rossi, but I don't think it was. All right. So I I think I'm all out on this one. Anybody else got anything, or should we? Uh, Figure out who's on the hook for our next book. Let's wrap it up. And I've got one if nobody else does. Who's, uh, do we know whose turn it is? Well, I picked I this think, one, so it's not me. I think do I we, am the... Do we ever take turns? Theoretically. I think I am the least recent of the group to pick. But if somebody else has a pick, I will be happy to hold off because this is just one I enjoyed. It's not one I have specific attachment to. I don't have a specific pick, but I, I did just think of one. <laughs> well, I, and I'm not sure it'd be a good pick. You know, when I, when I couldn't get the one we had for uh, Claw 2, I looked up uh, other books by Seth Kedlong, and I uh, came up with private property, but it's not so much a book as about a statement, I think, of uh, values. 
and such. So if somebody else has somebody something else they would like to suggest, uh, I won't stand in the way. Well, I've got one I just pasted into the chat that I found really unusual and interesting, and I would like the opportunity to listen to it again. Oh, I have not heard this. I did not even know that this existed. But when I see that author's name, I get kind of a little academic chub. So it's weird and fun. And the rest I'm going to save for a month from now. I I knew that when I saw the author's name, I, I knew both of those things already. So are we sold? Can I say it? Go right ahead. I'm in. This is The Terrible Business of Salmon and Dusk by Mike Bartlett. And as I said, it's weird and awesome and weird again. Yeah, Mike Bartlett is definitely out there. And uh, he's he's a I've listened to a bunch of his audiobooks. I liked them all, even the ones I didn't like, I really liked. And um yeah, he's, he's hard to track. <laughs> His books are really hard to follow sometimes because you just when you think you know what's going on, it gets weirder. And I'm not sure that all of them are completely plot driven or if they're allegory or if they're just this author's hallucinations. And that seems to be typical of almost all of his writing. Um, the only book he's ever written that I could truly follow the plot and not think of it as some type of allegory or weird uh, statement might be Underwood and Flinch, which is an excellent, excellent audiobook, but it's super long. It would be like, a- wait, 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 that's Mike Bartlett too. Yeah. That was fantastic too. Oh yeah, it was, but that would be like, it would take us three months. It's such a long audiobook. It's that's three months worth of listening compared to our typical, books that's super long yeah i feel like that book though the one i read listened to was actually a double it was the first and second book in the series but i think that one book was as long as this entire series oh yeah yeah i i I can believe that and as good in completely different ways but yeah he's he's totally fun and weird (laughs) i guess is the i was is the long way of uh or the short way of saying what i just spent a long time saying is that i i totally agree with you this sounds awesome. The first time I listened to this, I think I missed a chapter or two or they came out of order because I was very confused and then I realized they were out of order. So I can't wait to listen to this again in order correctly. So that'll be July 14th. Is that right? Yes. July 14th would be the second Tuesday in July, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time, as is our usual. You know, I, I'm looking at this and I think I have listened to this one. Uh because the names all seem familiar and unless they're in multiple books um i think i have listened to this one and and it's i'm i'm absolutely willing to listen again if that says anything well i will be another year older by then and hopefully have some birthday beer i hope you get the same birthday present i got this year yeah that if the, if your motorcycle was your birthday present that's not going to happen it was yeah it was my wife said that Motorcycles, birthday, Father's Day, and probably Christmas all rolled into one, which is perfectly acceptable. Now, um, we are taking a trip in the end of July. I'll be back just in time for the August Book Club, but we're taking a trip in the end of July to visit my cousins in Kentucky. So I've told everyone to just give me cash so that I can buy 
spices, and bourbon. <laughs> That's all I want. I want to go buy spices and bourbon down in Kentucky. What kind of spices are growing in Kentucky? Uh, real close to where my cousins live, there's a Penzi's outlet. And Penzi's is one of the better spice manufacturers. So it's not that they're grown there. It's just a convenient place to buy them. And the cousins I'm going to visit, one of them is a cook. Not professionally, but one of the best cooks that I know, and that's saying something. So I will be like, take me to your spice mecca and give, help me get spices. Oh, excellent. See, spices here are like McCormick and what's the other one? Yeah, McCormick isn't bad, but these just kind of blow it out of the water. Like forever, I see all, saw all these recipes calling for smoked paprika, and I just put paprika in. I'm like, eh, there's no difference. And then nope. I got a jar, and then I got a jar of spice pack, smoked paprika, and I'm like, ah, nope, not even close. This is so much better. Yeah, and, and man, not to brag, I've been having the so visual dreams lately. Like earlier this morning, I had this one where the earth had been taken over by aliens and I was a cop, you know, enforcing the alien law. And I was also an insurgent trying to overthrow the aliens. And this sounds like, this sounds like a side effect from too many of those strawberries, 50. I think you're right. I think you're exactly right. I was going to say, it sounds like you're taking Chantix. You know, you are not the first person I've heard say that. What, Vivid Dreams from Chantix? Yes. Oh, yeah. I've heard people say that they, I mean, like, really bad they had to quit taking it. And I guess the only way to quit taking Chantix is to start smoking again. It's the only way to get yourself off that pill. Yeah, that's exactly. Somebody I knew was trying to quit smoking and tried the Chantix for, like, two nights. And he's like, nope, I will smoke rather than deal with this crap. All right. So can we wrap this? I'm good calling it. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Thank everyone uh, who participated. Um, the audiobook club is for everybody. Please join us next month. Uh, it's going to be July 14th, 2015 at 8 p.m. Eastern time. We're in the Hacker Public Radio room on the Mumble server that is, uh, oh, shoot. What is it? C- uh, anybody get that off the top of their head? So Pokey's not going to mention us by name? Well, if we can get the server and I got the room, then yeah, I can mention the participants. <laughs> uh, is it ch1.teamspeak.cc, I believe? Yes, that sounds right. And uh, yeah, thanks everyone who's been here. 5150, Taj, X1101, and uh, I'm Pokey. Thanks everyone for joining us and have a great month. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.
that. Looks like it could be interesting. Yeah, I saw that today, and I was like, yes, I will take it. I haven't seen Daredevil yet. Is it good? Daredevil is fucking awesome. It is basically, um, imagine if HBO got a hold of a Marvel property and, and still tied it into the MCU. It's it's fantastic. Ooh, HBO does good work. So this isn't uh, just a rehash of the Ben Affleck Daredevil? No, they try very hard to intentionally, I think, in some way steer away from that movie, even though they're... I still would argue that there are good things in the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. There are not many, but there are some. And uh, they avoid some of them, I think, to a detriment. Uh, but none of those good things are actually Ben Affleck. He is by far not the worst part of that movie. Seriously? I must not know Daredevil very well, then. Honestly, the only movie I can remember enjoying Ben Affleck in was Dogma. <laughs> I was just about to say Dogma. It's the only movie he hasn't been able to ruin. Maybe it's just because that movie is so irreverent to begin with. Let's just hope See, it, he doesn't he screw doesn't. up Batman. That, that's I, I, I don't think he will. I think he actually there will be little for Batman to do, so he'll be okay. Is this Batman and Superman or Batman versus Superman? No, it's Batman v Superman. It's... V, because it's supposed to be like a trial, or at least that's the bullshit excuse they gave when they released the title. Because I'm fairly certain that Comic Land, every time Batman and Superman have gone head-to-head, Batman wins because he's just smarter. I just want to know why the fuck they didn't call the movie World's Finest like it should have been. So did you say Batman V as in versus Superman, or Batman V as in he's the real one? No, as in versus that's the idea. Okay. Everything I see about the new like DC, we're going to ape Marvel and make a contiguous movie property thing just makes me want to punch things. I'm just like, Ugh. next up on, oh my God, I can't believe I found this on Reddit. So he didn't commit suicide. He's still around. Honestly, that could pretty much be a show. Just go to the first page of Reddit and look for ridiculous things to talk about. To be honest, I'm not sure why that isn't a show. <laughs> I would totally uh, get down on that. <laughs> that there's, a, there's an infant in that bag at the one of his feet. He looks so unhappy, though. <laughs> it's like the whole third reich didn't work out for me. I'm just going to ride the subway and read my phone. He looks oddly content, though. Like, yeah, this is life. Looks great but, for his age. Jeez, what's he eating? The souls of the oppressed. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's an infant in the bag. Honestly, for the show we had talked about, that might be a good way to get random inspiration is to just roll the front page in front of, hey, this looks crazy. Let's talk about that. I mean, if we're going to go whole, whole hog on this, let's just have 4chan the show. <laughs> let's just quit beating around the bush. Let's go straight to the worst of the internet. I am I am not sure my brain could take that. Or, more importantly, my faith in humanity. It's already so low that I'm pretty sure that that would just be the coffin nail. Prari, prari. Wah, wah, wah. Hey, Taj, I got something to show you. Yes? Check out that picture. I think it is, Boogie. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it is. You're, you're a pretty smart fella. So is that sitting in your driveway? Please say yes. That's, no, no, no. Uh, mine's in the shed. I am very happy for you, and I hate you at the same time. 
thanks, man. I appreciate both of those things. That's not a picture of my bike, but for all intents and purposes, it is because it's identical. That is a sweet looking ride, man. Thanks, man. My wife bought it for me. She surprised me with it. You should definitely re-up with her for another like five-year contract. That, that that would work out. Yeah, I'm working on that. Yeah, she found it. It's a two thousand. She found it on Craigslist. It's a two thousand nine, and the day we bought it, it had sixty-one miles on it. What? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, motorcycles are scary if you've never ridden one before, and someone bought that bike and scared the shit out of himself and put it in his garage and saved it for me until I was ready. I have one, a slightly odder story that is sad and worse and yet funnier. So up in Augusta, which is state capital, somebody bought a bike, put like 20 miles on it and then had a, had a wreck and died. And nobody rode the bike for like 20 years. And then my best friend's brother bought, bought this bike and ended up fixing it up and riding it for a while. And then we're like, dude, you're not going to ride the death bike. You are not going to ride the death bike. And then he sold it and bought a new one. That's good for him. He shouldn't ride the death bike. I thought that was going to so- end with he turned into Ghost Rider. <laughs> just went off the rails. <laughs> He's not old enough to be Ghost Rider. Now he avenges everyone who's ever been bullied on a scooter. <laughs> so just in case it makes it into the post show, because pictures don't translate, this is... Uh, Suzuki Gladius SFV650 and uh, it means a lot to my wife and I because I used to have an SV650 Suzuki SV650 and this is the uh, pretty much the, the next generation I don't know why they changed the name they gave it a stupid name and that's really sad but they fixed every complaint I ever had about that bike and I didn't have many and the complaints that I did have weren't very serious i just thought of like minor improvements and they pretty much made all of them with this bike and it's it's fantastic they uh they made the flywheel a little bit heavier so it it tools along in first gear a little bit uh, more calmly which the sv didn't really do they um they tweaked the fuel injection they gave it a an o2 sensor so it goes into closed loop mode um they stretched the wheelbase a little bit, which I think makes it a little more stable, but the SV was plenty stable, but it still steers nice and quick. Actually, it feels like it steers even quicker because I'm, I'm lower on this one. The seat is much lower, which I always loved the high seat, but I was the only one who ever did because I have long legs. But uh, yeah, they fixed everything. I just love the bike. There's a, lot, there's, there's a lot of plastic on it. I wish there wasn't so much plastic. It's got a beautiful um, steel tube trellis frame that wraps around the engine and and I wish they didn't have so much plastic covering that up and they've got all the white that you see on that bike is plastic and uh but it's just beautiful it's blue and white and um my wife and I love it when we met I had the SV650 and we went on a couple rides on that together um before somebody crashed it for me and we haven't really ridden since I bought one more motorcycle in the interim but we sold it pretty quickly because it was terrible um neither of us liked it I didn't like riding it, and neither did she, so we sold it. And we just couldn't afford one for a long time, and she started saving up, and she's been saving for a while. And I came home one night, and she said, hey, surprise, we have to go uh, pick up a motorcycle this Saturday. And she told me all about it, and it was Monday, and I said, nope, for that price, with that low miles on it, it will not be there Saturday. We have to go tonight. So we went down to 
Dorchester, Massachusetts, in the rain, and I got on that bike and rode it a hundred and some odd, my hundred and I don't know, about a hundred and ten, maybe. Well, how much was it? Sixty, forty, uh, about a hundred and three miles. I rode it in the rain, pouring, pouring, freezing rain. I was shivering so bad, poured water out of my boots, and it's really the first time I've ridden in ten years. And we made it home, and I've been riding it just a little bit here and there and it needs a little bit of work because sitting around will actually age some pieces i needed a new battery and there's a recall in the uh the regulator so you, um, did, you did need the new battery too then i did put a new battery in it yes and it probably didn't get except that the regulator died on us while we were out on the road and i mistook that for the battery because i, I turned the bike off and went to start it again it would not restart so we jump on it and I rode to a motorcycle shop and we bought a battery. And then as we were coming home, and we were far away from home. We did, we did about 106 miles that day, um, which is a lot because we haven't ridden in a while. I used to do 300-mile days was a short day. We'd do maybe 500 miles in a day, me and my riding buddy. But 150 miles and you haven't ridden in 10 years a lot. So we were kind of far from home. We put the new battery in it and we got home and just as I – put on my blinker to turn onto my street. Um, the thing just completely died. It, uh, it had, had no charge whatsoever and had to shit up the street to my house, which was good. If it didn't die, I might not have known that that stator was bad. Uh, the, uh, excuse me, the regulator. I might not have known it was bad. I might've ridden it somewhere real far away. Um, and it was good that it didn't die far from home. So, uh, we got really, really lucky and it probably needed the battery anyway. So I'm not, not real unhappy about that. That and it, it well, for whatever reason, probably because it had old fuel in it, the O2 sensor needs to be replaced and covering that under warranty, even though there's only a few hundred miles on the bike now because it's it's so old. The stator's a regard. Keep saying stator. It's a regulator, uh, regulator and rectifier. It's they're they're replacing that because it's a recall. It's cool that it was the newer version and it actually was better. I find that anytime I buy the newer version of something, it's always worse. They did that first time. The first SV was virtually perfect. And the second SV, they they changed the design of it like from the ground up. They completely redesigned the bike. They used the same wheels and brakes and suspension, but the whole frame was different. The subframe was different. The swing arm was different. I mean, you name it. They fuel-injected it. Uh the original one was was carbureted and a lot of things got better and a lot of things didn't and it was very it was almost the same bike and it had the same kind of power band so you'll often see you know multiple generations of SVs riding together because the engine's the same and the bike handles the same even though they're they feel different um but it was just, uh, yeah, and I loved it, even though it was uglier than the first one and it didn't idle, uh, well, like roll along at an idle. It didn't do that as well as the first one. And, um, and it was taller and a lot of people found that uncomfortable. I thought it was comfortable. I loved the riding position on that one. Uh, but this one's just beautiful. Now it's so much better looking than my other one, I think, but I can't ride it until I get a new regulator. Always sucks to have a toy you can't play with. Oh, I play with it. Don't let me. Don't don't think I haven't. I uh, changed the oil Saturday morning. Um, I, I cleaned out the, the shed to make room for it. That's what I did Sunday. Uh, I, I took everything out of my shed and rearranged it and hung stuff up so I could put this in there and have it nice and safe. And now we know um, why your wife bought it for real. 
Yeah, right? <laughs> now she needs to buy something for my basement so I can get that cleaned out. I still need to uh, flush the brake fluid. Six-year-old brake fluid, even though it hasn't been ridden, is just, it's really spongy and I don't like it. Man, I can't believe it sat there that long and actually ran as well as it did to get you back home. That's crazy. Yeah, I got to believe that, that the only reason I made it home was because of the rain. Because if that regulator um, heats up, that's when it begins to fail. It just shorts out. So it, it drains all the power coming off the alternator or generator on a motorcycle. It just drains all the power out of the generator and doesn't recharge the battery. And eventually just, it just fails, um, which is what it did twice on Saturday. And I think the rain keeping everything cool is the only reason I made it home. What's up, 50? Oh, I want to apologize for my tardiness. No worries. We're just talking about superheroes and motorcycles. No different than normal. Tardiness? Long booth? <laughs> oh, did you get my email the other day, Pokey? I don't believe I did. Okay. Well, I just got into the... Um, oh, the last published uh, book review went out on HPR and was on Claude 2's book. And uh, I remember at the time, everybody had so much trouble. And I thought you'd done something like uh, finally put set up an RSS feed and I was, uh, to a different server. And I was wondering if you still had that around. Oh, I don't remember seeing that email at all. Uh, and I don't remember what I did. I, I don't, um, geez, I don't remember what I did to to get that to open correctly. I'm the one who set up a, a separate RSS feed, but it was just on my local stuff here. Seems like Klaatu's uh, just been having trouble with feeds in general lately. It seems like everything he does is his problem. I don't know why. Well, that book's hosted on a third-party server somehow. And I, I would say it's probably their fault they're in Klaatu's, but uh, I, I made a couple of attempts to download the whole archive, and I think I had about three usable files each time. That's basically what Pokey ended up doing just a bunch of times until he got all of them. 50, if you need the files or, or you want them, um, let me know. I can put it on my own cloud and then just give you a login so you can get in there and get it. Yeah, thanks. I'd, I'd appreciate that. I would like to, to actually listen to the book before I uh, listen to the second half of the podcast. I was just – I was going to listen all the way through, and I, I just got back to the house when you guys were – finishing up the beverage review, and I figured, well, that's serendipity. Uh, What did you think of my editing job so far? Did I do okay? Yeah, I thought so. Okay, good. And I need to do one. It probably won't be till after harvest now, but I, you know, I need need to do what I promised and get get one in. I'm also planning on going through and doing a couple of them in another month and a half my wife and daughter are going to be gone for two weeks and i'm going to have the house to myself and i'm going to go absolutely crazy and edit audiobooks yeah mark which ones you're doing because tomorrow is my last day at work for six weeks so i <laughs> planning on going on an editing spree i see you've got two of them tagged to do their taj and then i'll as i start them i'll mark them well taj if you get to them all before uh, we do uh, it's pro- that'd probably be easier you let us know by email as you get each one done. We've got a a page up somewhere here, 50. Give me a second, and I'll pull the link up. I've got that page somewhere that they're all, they're all hosted on then. That right there is where we've got kind of the ones that we've recorded and haven't edited yet. Okay. Uh, I spent part of the day configuring at least a new-to-me laptop that I 
that came in the mail yesterday, this one that I was given uh, after the fire. It's if you can you can uh, close and open the lid and the and the and the internal LCD will stay up for about three minutes and then it goes dark again. So but I did I it shouldn't be too hard to fix. I found out I could get the whole lid unit off of eBay for about 30 bucks. So I've got one of those coming. But I've I've really missed my uh, Panasonic Toughbook that I lost in the fire. So I got a uh, CF-C1 i5, uh, pretty small laptop, off of off of uh, eBay the other day, and it came yesterday. So I've got men up and running on it this morning. I was I was going to leave a dual boot, but this is something I'm going to probably cover in a uh, Linux Lugcast, at least to give you something to talk about. Used to be JKD Frack was pretty good. <coughs> was re- real good about... This is something I talked about years ago that I learned, that you, you turn swap off, so that gets rid of all the swap files. And then you run it through a third-party defragger like JKD Frag, and that that puts all the Windows stuff up at the, up at the beginning. And... Uh, then, then you can uh, resize the Windows partition and make it pretty small, roughly, of course, for Windows. And, you know, leave enough room to re-enable the swap and for any expansion in the future and whatever. And I, I ran it through four, you know, four, four different uh, defrags, you know, Windows defraggers that were recommended by Lifehacker, and all of them, None of the stuff was at the beginning of the partition. It left all the system stuff right in the middle, and I think all the data right at the end. So finally, I uh, used uh, Magic Jelly Bean Key Finder to pull the key off for Windows in case uh, it's different than the one stamped on the bottom of the computer, and save that over the network to the other computer, and then just wipe the drive, which is a bit would be the best thing anyway because it's only like 250 gig and uh, start over with man I always fear if I if I need Windows maybe I can I can install it to a flash drive or something that's pretty cool and then I had a couple custom machines I really wanted to get back today and I thought well let's make sure Windows update is up to date on the one must be something to do with update Tuesday uh, the one which the whole problem with it was uh, it, it acted like it had malware running on because, you know, everything was incredibly slow. And what it turned out to be is just a broken update. Fortunately, I left Windows Update running long enough and it fixed itself. Uh, but I thought, well, I didn't get back. You know, I, I wanted to uh, grab the soft software that... Um, Oh, foolish IT software prevent doesn't necessarily prevent the uh, uh, the encryption malware from getting on your computer, but it does some like social engineer things to keep the user from doing things. Uh, so I mean, it's not looking for the software, but it keeps you from doing things like uh, clicking on a link in an email that being an executable file. Uh, I think it's CryptoBlock. I got that on there, and there's one that's supposed to actually look for the profiles. I looked at it again, and and uh, and I would suggest it for any Windows user, but it's like it's not free. The, it only works for about three weeks, and then you got to pay twenty bucks. So I didn't put that on there for them. Um, 
and, and that's kind of what they're wait, waiting around for me to get time to do that. So I thought, well, I'll do updates while I'm here. And the, the one that, you know, successfully completed the update a week ago, and yeah, I shouldn't leave him sitting there that long. Uh, I ran up Windows Update again today, and it says, well, I can't update because this isn't a legitimate version of Windows. And a week ago it was, so, but I rebooted, did it again, and it's, well, I don't know. It's it, it's sitting there looking like it's trying to update, but at least it's not telling me it's not legitimate Windows anymore. And the other one, finally, I got it started to start doing up, running an update, so it should be done by now. I don't know what, what the first one, if it's... it's Kind of learned on that. Sometimes you kind of let them sit long enough, and even though they don't show any uh, progress, all of a sudden it pops up. Okay, I'm done. I'm gonna take this opportunity to restate how much I so very much hate Windows in every way, and their update is just one small part of that. Though it's huge, it's a huge gripe. It's just one small part of all of the things that I hate about Windows. Well, I had one I think I've talked about before, maybe not on this show, that just would not, you know, do Windows Update. And uh, the only thing that she really uses it for is playing solitaire. But, uh, I, you know, if it had been somebody else's computer with this user, uh, but I was on there like five five hours on, on site. You know, she actually called me to do this other computer. I fixed it and tried to do, well, do updates and stuff. And, you know, I'll just would sit there and hang doing Windows Update. And, but if you go into, you know, all these solutions for Windows Update, Microsoft must have, you know, 15 of these fix me uh, things where you, down, you know, you click on, you essentially downloads an EXE and goes through and then you try update. No, that didn't work. I mean, and just this plethora of different things. Try this, try that. I've only ever had that work once. I've tried it about six different times. It's only worked once for me. Oh, yeah. I'm not not a big fan of Microsoft's fix-it things. They hardly ever work right. But if you, if you look at if you look into this problem, I mean, it's go here, go. I mean, there it's never-ending Google search. Do this. Okay, do, do this other thing. Now do this. You know, there's not one place to go. Here's where we fix it. It's just, well, this worked for me, and there's like, you know, and I, I could I I was just down a rabbit hole that I was never going to get out of. The interesting thing I found is nobody hates Windows systems as much as Windows admins. Oh yeah, I mean, look, well, any anybody in tech, you know, it, who who do we know in tech doesn't absolutely hate both Windows and Apple? Oh no no no! I talk about how much I hate Windows, and then I talk to the Windows guys I work with, and they're like, "Oh God, that that's not even the half of it." That's not true. The <laughs> one of the heads of our tech department sat and lectured me about how Windows is the best operating system and how no web browser will ever be better than Internet Explorer. Okay, yeah, there is that type too. Who it's just oh, Microsoft makes it. I want it. It's if like, this were two thousand one and he was coming off a of Windows ninety five, I could buy that argument. But this is twenty fifteen. He's he's really really dumb. I'm sorry. I would I would say what Internet Explorer, as far as vulnerabilities, is probably better than it was five years ago. But for somebody to sit there, you know, if if I managed somebody and they said to me with a straight face, 
okay, maybe maybe they might prefer Windows. I, I'd be willing to give them that. But if, if if somebody I employed came to me for straight face and said that Internet Explorer, and I guess it's not going to be Internet Explorer anymore, but they said Internet Explorer is the best web browser, I would say clean out your desk. I've called security. They will be here in five minutes. Here's the problem. He's a manager. So, like, he's the one running all of the techs in our department. Like, he's in charge of all the technicians, which is ridiculous. And his whole argument was, like, well, Chrome and Firefox won't run certain sites, but IE will run anything. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, it will, because Internet Explorer will run any shit you throw at it, because it has no security whatsoever. <laughs> like, at least Chrome or something will be like, ah, this looks so shady. I'm not going to run it. Well, the downside of that with Firefox, and I experienced this in the last couple of weeks, is they made it much more difficult to access sites with self-signed certificates. But I'm like, screw you. Occasionally, I actually need to do that for a legitimate reason, and I had to go into the about config to turn it off. There wasn't even like a radio button that said, no, no, I really do know what I'm doing. Get the hell out of my way. And that kind of editorializing of the internet by both Mozilla and Google really bothers me. Well, there is. I, I ran into this on the new uh, laptop, and I've, I've been getting for, you know, months now, every time I run a Flash video, but all my saying was this old version of Flash. Uh, yeah, I know there's a, there's a command line to supposedly bring the Flash up to date, and that worked a couple times. I, I did it today on my... Uh, browser flash GTK for mine. I'm not sure if that necessarily worked or not. I haven't tested it. When I first started running the problem four months ago with it telling me that my flash wasn't up to date, there's a separate command to update flash independent from your your normal system update. And that seemed to work a couple times, and after that it kept... Every time I hit a flash site, I have to tell Firefox... Yes, on the old insecure version of Flash, uh, but uh, now if you if you if, if you hit one of these sites that says you you need to do this uh, uh, install this plugin to you know or update your Flash, and you follow that all the way to Adobe site, uh, it, it looks like it you know Adobe thinks you can install the current uh, current version of Flash on on. Uh, Linux, but they won't give you just like the dev or the RPM to download. It try it. You won't won't do a straight download. It throws it. It throws it through whatever the program is that it would run if you double clicked on a dev rather than doing it the right way uh, from a command line. And you know it fails every time. So it's you know it's Adobe's problem too. I don't think I don't think they're supposed to have a current version. Uh, of uh, Flash for Linux, but at least just let me download the dev or the RPM. Yeah, but they don't care about us anymore. They already said they weren't giving us uh, current versions anymore. They don't care about us because they're scared of us. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it's about. I, well, yeah. I'm not convinced at all that they're like, oh, only people are using Windows and, and Mac, because it's like, if you look at all these embedded devices, what are they? Like, the Roku, what's it run on? Linux. You know, it, it's everything that runs the software that Flash needs is going to be Linux. So they're still going to support it. They're just not going to use desktop users. And somebody's going to be smart enough to backwards engineer. I mean, it's not that big of a deal to me. I, frankly, if Flash would just die a horrible, painful death, I would be happy. 
Well, I, I, they're trying. They're they're what they're trying to do is cripple the Linux users for for at least the uh, you know the the noobs who just want stuff to work, and then they go to Linux and they find out, oh, Flash doesn't work. We'll go back. I mean, yeah, obviously it's an it's intentional, but they're trying to do it while Flash is still relevant. They know they've only got a couple of years of Flash being still relevant. I've I need Flash for some stuff at work, and I. I hate it, and it's awful, but I don't have a choice. And on my Linux workstation at work, I can use the official Google Chrome version, not the Chromium, but Chrome, and it's got built-in Flash Player that just works. I'm talking about for one of them's our security software vendor there, uh, the application interface. It's over the web, but it's a Flash interface, and it's slow and painful, but it's unfortunately still better than their HTML5 interface. And then for VMware, um, with VMware 5.5 and up, they're really pushing their web interface, and both of those are Flash-based, and they both work pretty much out of the box Linux for me. Well, see, that's a trouble if anybody works in uh, K-12 education. Most everything is in Java, and what's not in, like testing programs, and what's not built in Java is built in Flash. Uh, but, yeah, I, I had this trouble today, too, that I had... Uh, Google Chrome downloaded and installed, and then I installed Mumble, and there was a conflict over libraries. So to install Mumble, it uninstalled Chrome. See, this is one of the in, in like I'm of two minds. I love the anarchy, self-organizing nature of the internet. Like I love that, but like the editorializing thing works because as much as I hate to say it, when Apple said we're not going to support Flash, they killed it. One company killed Flash, and you know what? It needed to die. <laughs> it's terrible. You hear of all the security vulnerabilities, and it, it's, it was time for somebody to do it. They had the clout to do it, so they did it. And it's just like the educational stuff. I, Yeah, a lot of it's Java. A lot of it's Flash. A lot of it now, which is ridiculous. I saw that a couple of things we were looking at are Unity. So it's like they're, they're basing it off of a game engine because it has the export to different things. Um, so, I mean, somebody will step in and take its place. It's just, it will take time. And there'll be another shitty technology to replace this shitty technology. Anytime you're doing cross-platform with an export button, it's going to be shitty technology, just based on it. If you want something to run on a platform, code it for the platform. It's not that hard. Well, the interesting analog to this, we'll see, we'll see who wins. And I, I mentioned this just because I was revis- revisiting this article this morning. Uh, I came across this thing that... Uh, Delta is trying to hide their information uh, from all of the flight booking sites, and, and especially the ones that are aggregators like Kayak. Uh, so I don't understand how that would work, that they're trying to hide it from Kayak and not from, uh, say, Priceline or something. I don't know how you would even do that if, if all Kayak does is call Priceline and calls all, calls all the other and, th- and then presents that to you. Uh, why? Why doesn't that reduce their market penetration, not increase it? I was going to say I would think they I I would think they've been shoot would be shooting themselves in the foot, but they don't they don't want to be competitive on pricing. It's killing them to be competitive with everybody else. Uh, so they're saying, well, you know, if you if if you want to fly Delta, you better you better call Delta or go to Delta's website. Uh, but they're also not competing on anything else. 
They can't shoot themselves in the foot because that would depressurize the cabin, and then they would die. <laughs> Actually, I saw this on Fox t- th- this afternoon or something, and this is just because if I'm in the house and I'm not watching anything else, I flip it over to Fox. It's uh, get some, but they are something they were talking about with the TSA and everything else is, is give the pilots really underpowered scatter guns that would that would not shoot you know would not put holes in in the uh aircraft skin to defend the aircraft how about we just not put guns in a pressurized can ever can we just all as a species agree that that is bad news well i mean you take out the terrorists of course you take out the passengers at the same time but you know at least you don't fly into any buildings my beverage is calling me we got to start this book review so i can have some Yes. Yeah, and on on that, of course, of course, I've I've listened to this book before. I did not get started on my second time through, so I I, I uh, hit about the first third. But I love this book, so I think I can intelligently discuss about any part of it. It's just uh, maybe getting it confused with the second book. I've mainlined all six in the last four weeks. I'm going to get all of it confused, I'm pretty sure. I'm sitting here looking at the patio books page, looking at the chapter-like synopses, just to make sure that I don't go past the end of the first book. It's hard. It's like potato chip. Yeah, we both said that. Yeah, I started last week, and I just I couldn't quite make it through the series. it's, It's hard for me not to listen to the entire series if I start the one book. I was going to call bullshit on that because I know you were like hangouting me on Google Plus like, oh, my God, this book is awesome. I am currently on, if my player will ever load, I'm on episode 26 of Owner's Share, and I started last Monday.